0: News. It's
1: Blake and Aaron's Spilling the Tea with
0: Sandy.
2: K-Man's top news headlines of the day from CMR.
0: Brought to exclusively on KISS FM by, by uh, J. Michael Fashion for everyone. Good morning, Sandy.
2: Hey, good morning, Blake and Aaron. How are you guys doing?
0: We're okay. Yeah. What do you got for us awesome. this
2: morning? So uh, Burger King has increased the um, reward for anyone oh. who has information. I listen to all of our shows. Listen to our yes. show <laughs> definitely. No, I reach out to them. I said, "Eh, you know." So yes, so they've decided to increase it to five thousand dollars. but wow. There you go. Um, yeah. The person has to be willing to give a statement. I think this is unfortunately one of those things where people say, "Oh, I think it's so and so," yeah, and then they don't correct. want to tell that to the police, and you know, it's not very reliable. And then they expect to connect, collect the reward. So you you gotta come. You gotta come correct. And um, it has to lead to the rest of, um, and I think they said arrest and prosecution of the right person. So mm. you can't be, you know, just naming anybody.
0: That's always a tip, a tip that leads to the arrest and prosecution yes. of somebody.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so $5,000 $5, is, uh, you know, and, uh, and you know what I said? I saw a few younger folks on Instagram arguing about, oh, yeah, you know, let's just wait. They'll increase it even more. And I said, no. I said, actually, what's going to happen is this person is going to go and rob somewhere else. And this time you might be a patron in the establishment or it might be your, you know, family's mom and pop shop or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're not going to be in a position to offer a reward. And this individual will continue to rob uh, innocent people until I guess eventually they'll get caught because eventually they all do. So take it, you know, you see something or you know something, say something.
0: Did you hear a really quick sidebar? There's a story this morning about um, this guy who uh, had uh, dealings with uh, the Mafia. He was a hitman for the Italian Mafia. Oh,
2: wow. And
0: that he was on the run for 16 years. And they just oh, found God. him yesterday. He was a, a pizza chef at an Italian restaurant in France.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's so funny.
0: <laughs> just arrested him yesterday. Wow. 16 years. Wow. He's back there making pizzas. How old is he? Uh, I don't know. Here he is. He looks like a hitman. If you see the picture. <laughs> Doesn't
2: he? Man, he was he he on the for 16 years. Know, he
0: looks like he's probably in his uh you know sixties or something.
2: Okay. So- Ooh, send, send me the link, we'll check it out. Yeah. All right, Cayman Airways has instructed staff to speak English. <laughs> this
0: is- I saw that story.
2: Yeah, you can't really make this stuff up, but apparently there was an incident um that uh prompted this to happen. Um, You know, they use this at the Miami International Airport. They use another company to handle um, some of their services. So basically, they've outsourced it. And they've been having an issue. I think most of those people are Cubans, of course, in Miami. Makes sense. And uh, they've been having an issue with them speaking uh, Spanish in front of clients. And they did it in front of someone that they did not know was actually a Spanish speaker. Mm. And they said something about her that was not professional wow! Yeah. and so of course she understood every single word um pretended like she didn't know spanish and then filed a report wow. so now every staff member has received an email saying you guys better speak english only that is a
0: good customer service for yeah, sure for sure
2: yeah. even You're even something. in miami
0: right all and right a
2: petition has the begun by the community of um, Shamrock Road area. They're saying that um, they are really, really trying to save lives on Shamrock Road. Yeah. And they're begging the Cayman Islands government to uh, implement, you know, certain what they call traffic calming measures uh, within that t- that two-mile, what they call spot stretch. So go check out the petition, folks. Yeah. It's a good cause.
1: I mean, it's it can be crazy there. And you have people pulling out. And now, obviously, there's been... I mean, sad, tragic uh, car wreck recently. That's not the only one. Yeah, that's just the recent one. And
2: yeah. Exactly. All right. Those are your headlines this morning.
0: All right. Catch Sandy coming up right now on Bobo 89.1 FM. We'll see you tomorrow for the Thursday headlines.
3: Great. Bigger. Bigger. Better. Better. Bolder. Bolder. The cold, hard truth is taking talk to the next level, right here on Bobo 89.1 FM, Cayman's community radio. We are still spilling the tea and committed to being part of the change that Cayman so desperately needs. Join Sandy Hill weekdays from 7.30 a.m. for Premier Access, Cayman Voices, Truthful Thursdays, and much more. Cayman's number one talk show is now bigger,
0: bigger, better, better, bolder, bolder,
3: and more than talk. Getting results with hot topics, consumer reports, court exposés, and more.
4: come to set the record straight. I've come to shine the light
5: on you. Let me introduce myself.
6: I am the cold
3: heart true. Now, from the CMR studio in Grand Cayman, live direct it's the cold hard truth now now join the conversation on 345-936-2626
5: that number again is
3: 345-936-2626
2: Good morning good morning to the beautiful people all over the cayman islands all three islands you guys know that we are one amazing absolutely amazing family um thank you guys so much for tuning in and not just tuning in but interacting with the show calling messaging um the works really really appreciate your continued support And I'm so excited. I hear that the Tower um, Media Consumption Report is coming out shortly. Well, I think it might be out already, but we'll we'll get some details on it. And of course, I hear that CMR is in that number one slot again for talk show. I don't know if we're breaching the other number one spots, but definitely, uh, folks, we've got the talk show one locked, locked and loaded. So that's super exciting. This has got to be at least the third year now in a row. Uh, yes, for for all the years that we've been included in the survey, we have been number one. Let's put it that way, which is uh, absolutely fantastic. So, buenos dias. Let's see who's here this morning with us. By the way, I have my overlight, my overhead light off today. And those of you who are watching the video um, stream. Let me know um, if it makes a difference. Do you like it better today versus yesterday? It might be a subtle difference, but, uh, you know, sometimes a subtle difference is all you need, honey, cheer. All right, we got a lot to talk about uh, this morning. We do have some guests that are coming in at 8 o'clock. And then um, I've got some interviews lined up for you because I do have to go and interview the governor this morning. Yay, so exciting. I think we, we might be the first... Uh, media to sit down like do a sit down you know what we'll do is we'll air it on the radio uh, interview so that's exciting and um, I'll tell you guys all about it afterwards yeah she seems she seems lovely and after today I'll get a better feel Um, and I'm sure she wants to get a feel about us over here at CMR as well so we'll go and have a little chat with her exciting so I will leave the live program a little bit early. Kevin's going to be in the background monitoring, but I've got some amazing um, interviews loaded up for you. One is with Miss Marla Jukaran, who, um who is an economist. She spoke at the Economic Outlook. Um, she's a petite little Trini lady, and she is cute as a button. But more importantly, she is smart as a whip. Uh, this woman is amazing. Like when she speaks, people listen. Um, and, you know, just uh, just amazing, yeah. So she's an economist and advisor on the Caribbean, Caribbean economist, Marla Dukran. And uh, she speaks, you know, on uh, regional development, country level, economic performance. We were trying to get some of the um, slides that she actually showed in her presentation that you're gonna listen to this morning. I'll still work on it because I think that um, it's really, really quite important, actually. But she focuses on, listen, you guys are going to be like, when you listen to her speak, you're going to be like, yes, yes, this woman is speaking truth, nothing but truth. And then um, we also have lined that for you. I feel like this is almost Women's Day or something. But, um, you know, Mother's Day coming up right around the corner. We have uh, Senator Elizabeth uh, is it Thompson? Yes. And she's going to be, um, speaking as well. She spoke, this is her speech that she presented at the recent, um, women in energy conference that was held uh, by CUC here in the Cayman Islands. And again, very, very inspiring, uh, woman. Uh, she heads up the, um, department of economic and, uh, and social affairs sustainable development. You can see her page here. The United Nations has something up about her. She's a former minister of energy and environment of Barbados, but very, very inspiring. I was like, yes. All right. So listen, um, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Ms. Vernita's here. John Levy's in the house. Dory's saying good morning and happy hump day to everyone. Alejandro is checking in front and center. Weewee oui, oui is here. Juliette, good morning to you, my darling. Scott is saying good morning to everyone. First Lady Jayan, Jayan and the baby are both present. Uh, K-Man Coco. Hello. Uh, K-Man Coco says good morning, Sandy and K-Man. I'm finally up early enough to say good morning. <laughs> oh, K-Man Coco, where? <laughs> why are you sleeping in in the mornings? Uh, Liana is here. Marshall joining us. Uh, Jayan, thank you. She says I'm looking lovely. So I'm going to go get a few curls, put my hair high jail. You know, when I see the governor, I gotta I gotta represent and kind of look goodish. Um, so I'll do that. Get the eyebrows sorted out just a little bit. Get the nails sorted. You know, we have to make good first impressions. Uh, Miss Jasmine is here. Good morning. I think the premier leaves today, and maybe the governor does as well. I'm not really sure. Um, off to the UK for the coronation this weekend. So um, you guys know I have a six year old. And when she heard the word coronation, she started singing from the Frozen movie, "Coronation Day, it's Coronation Day." I was like, "Oh Lord, <laughs> Lulu." You guys know if you have kids how it is. Oh my goodness, K Man Detailing. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, yes, thank you. I think it's I think it's uh, uh, Debbie and Lulu says congrats. You deserve all the accolades. I really appreciate it. Hard work pays off, honey. G L. Buenos dias to Elizabeth. Miss Bonnie is in the house. She says, good morning. Miss Iva is here saying good morning to all of my classmates. Blessed Wednesday morning. Dean Sinclair is in the house. Hello, Dean. Siobhan is here. And we have Natasha saying, morning all. Hope everyone's having a great day. Have enjoyed listening to you at work each morning, Sandy. Oh, thank you so much. Um, How are you listening? Through the computer or you get yourself one of them little radios? Uh, John, morning to you. So, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, where do we begin? And Ms. Darlene, buenos dias, Miss Darlene. Uh, Isabel says your camera is blurry. Isabel, let me know where you're watching it. Let me just open this up and check and see Facebook. Um, sometimes that can be the internet. And sometimes it is, uh, you know, It's just the individual connection. So I'm looking pretty good in Facebook. I'm looking at a Facebook feed over here and that actually looks pretty good. So what I would suggest is um, you refresh your connection, Isabel. That sounds like that might be your your thing. So listen, um, West Bay folks, oh my goodness. I have, um, you know, oh my... All right, H- how do I unpack this one? I don't think I wanna show this video, although I have received it like a million times over the past day and a half. When I say million times, I really feel like it's been a million times. Oh, you know, it's sometimes it's very, very difficult to explain something. Like I can tell you guys something, and you still like mm, that don't sound too bad. Or some of you might embellish it in your minds even worse. So, all right, let, let's do a quick vote. You guys tell me. There is a video that has been making the rounds, and if you've seen it, you've seen it. If you haven't, then you're not gonna know what I'm talking about. But there is a video that is making the rounds, and it is two individuals. Other people are there, and somebody recorded it, recorded it. But there are two individuals that. Um, are known to have a very violent history, always fighting each other, right? And in this particular video, um, the female walks up to the guy and starts to assault him in a way. And then he takes it from zero to a hundred in two seconds. And he literally knocks her out. Knocks her cold When I say, uh, uh, listen, I look at that video and I felt the hit. And I have never in my life, no man, praise the Lord for him, has been stupid enough to ever put his hands on me. Trust me, one time somebody just held my hand. I was like, oh, honey, chill. If you if you know what's good for you, you're gonna take your hands off my hands right now. And it wasn't that he was grabbing it to her; he was just speaking aggressively to me, and at the same time, touched me. And I said, No, 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 uh-uh. not today, Bobo. I don't even like men to look at me hard with a violent thought in their heads. The first lady says, "Let's see it." Um. So you guys want to see it? Just quickly comment in this in the section. We have over 200 of you. I'll I'll let democracy reign this morning. Um, oh gosh, did it, I don't think it had any profanity in it. Let me make sure. <laughs> Y'all don't want me to get in trouble again. I don't think it did, unfortunately. Um, oh God, poor thing. Now she, she's messaging other people, talking about, oh, somebody being mean, circulating it. Woman, everybody has seen this video today. There's not nothing new. All right, I'm going to show it. Um, I do not recall any profanity. Can can somebody confirm who's seen it? Let's just make sure cuz we don't want to play anything that has profanity in it. We can mute it in in any event. But I have received this video literally a million times. Even this morning, right now I'm still getting it from people. <sighs> um she does start crying in the video, so there is some crying, but I don't think there's any profanity in it. All right. Let, let's let's watch it. My goodness. Mm, mm, mm. All right. T- I, I, oh, I feel so horrible. All right. Here it is. Here it is, folks. <laughs>
7: You stupid son of a bitch. Don't you fucking touch yes, you Don't man. stupid Oh, that's cool. Oh, wow, you out, you? want to lick my motherfucking to Get me Oh, wow. That's your stupid motherfucking You is a Sit down right? Sit down. Go on, sit down. So I was just saying
2: that, um, my my apologies, I had the mute button on. Uh, he's then trying to, to pick her up and, and stabilize her essentially after knocking her out cold. So here's the thing, this is so sad and everybody knows who this is. Um, She's now posted a message talking about, oh, you know, this person trying to be mean to her by, um, you know, posting this up, blah, blah, blah. She needs to get her life together. This woman is in her 50s. And at some point we all, listen, we all have relatives that sometimes just make us hang our head in shame. And we hope that they get their lives together. But these people are adults. And, you know, as family members, there's nothing that we can do (laughs) other than, I guess, pray for them, that they're gonna see the way of the, um, the ways of their, what's the word, the phrase I'm looking for? You know the the bad the bad ways of of their behavior. Now these two, um, I know the woman, everybody I think knows that that's Kovan <laughs> and Thor. and they are always fighting. look, look at a poor thing dropping down. I don't know if it's the lick or if it's the liquor or if it's a combination of the lick and liquor, Probably a little bit of both. And I understand that this happened this past Monday. I don't know. seems like they were hanging out at the beach. But you know this is such a sad situation, Kovan. Please, there are people who care about you, who love you, who don't want to see you continue to live your life like this. You know, yes, she is the aggressor, and I, I hear all. Oh, I mean, she is hitting him with that, and I don't know. I mean, he does kind of kick her off, and at that point, she went to pick up the um, the beer bottle to come at him again. So there are some people who said, Sandy, listen. I don't believe in, in hitting women and violence against women, but at the same time, she was the aggressor in this situation. And she's often, everybody knows these two, she's often the aggressor. The two of them are always fighting and carrying on. Um, and and this, is, this is a really, really horrible situation. One of these days, one of them is gonna kill each other. And you see these men stand up, they're watching. Believe me you, they've probably seen this a million times. So they're not going to intervene. See that one guy there, he just walks away. They're like, we're not not getting involved in this mess. These two are so messy. And and by the next minute, they're back together again, all lovey-dovey, hugging and and kissing each other up and and trying to make babies in their 50s. Kovan needs to get her life together. This This is a dangerous combination, right? This man's sitting down, smoking his little spliff, Somebody told me he just came out of drug rehab and they thought he, oh, not him, but another guy there. They thought he was doing so good. And then they see him in this video and they're like, wow. Two things here, drugs, which include alcohol, um, general violence. And um, I I don't even know, just pure madness. This man should be arrested for assaulting her but at the same time she should probably be arrested for assaulting him as well. Although I hear that she's the kind of person that when he's coming out of jail, she's gonna be the girlfriend that's riding up on her white horse uh, to take him out of jail. You know, some people are just not good together and some people are just not good, even by themselves. I think this is a combination of the two. Both of these people have problems. And clearly, this woman is a grandmother. She is a mother. You know, I haven't posted this on on social media because I really struggle a lot of times when I see stuff like this because it breaks my heart. But then again, nobody's surprised at this. Everybody's like, oh, this is her. This is how she is. She should try to really, oh, she'll be 60 this year. Lord Jesus, she really needs to get her life together. And then she's posting on social media about um, anyone who received this from Daphne. Ebanks, delete the video she posted. She's very mean and ugly. Please, it's very scandalous and degrading to both parties. Colvan, your behavior is scandalous and degrading to yourself. Yeah, it's scandalous and degrading, but guess what? You're the person who is engaged in this behavior. So why you think that, um, you know, the publishing of it is what is scandalous and degrading is crazy. Your behavior is scandalous and degrading. And if this is not gonna be a catalyst for you to get some professional help and to try to change at 60 years of age, I, I don't know what is. I mean, you're a grandmother for God's sake. Come on, girl, try to get your life together. It's just so incredibly sad. Uh, Lulu, sa- Lulu says long and lasting love. Folks, this is not love by any stretch of the imagination. This is dysfunctionality. Both of them has, have issues with addiction. Both of them um, you know, are violent individuals by nature. And so, I don't know what the police can do. I think somebody in this case needs to be arrested. I know that she was assaulting him first, but I still feel like he didn't have to I don't know, I don't know if we'd consider that a sucker punch because I mean, maybe she saw it coming. And you know, they know each other by now. They've been together forever, I understand. So she should know that he is going to hit her back. And um she should have expected it, right? So probably not a sucker punch, but that kind of a punch to me went overboard. Like, I don't think he needed to hit her like that in the head. He literally, uh, I don't know. He's the, he's the stronger party. But look, he just boxed her closed fist and knocked her out. Can can somebody reach out to Kovan? I mean, is there anything that anybody can do? I don't think so. Because I know that everybody has tried... Her children have tried. You know, it's just like, oh my God. Come on, girl. Everyone in K Man has seen this video, I can assure you. Like I said, I received it a million times. Everybody's like, oh my God, Sandy, did you see this? Did you see this? Seymour says, yep, she's a crackhead. And he's a waste man. Liana says, but they're always fighting and love each other. I want people to be very clear. There's nothing about this that is love. This is. <laughs> This is dysfunction. This is madness. This is everything but love. And if she thinks this is love, she definitely needs professional help, right? Um, We hope she'll get the help that she needs. Uh, Siobhan says there's a way to stop women, especially from hitting you, and too wrong don't make it right. Uh, Dean, Ms. Dean, says she provoked him to do it. Um, I mean, there's such a thing as self-defense, but I don't know that that was self-defense. That took it to a whole other level. But I agree that she is definitely the aggressor. She starts it. But, you know, men, you have to understand that your physical strength in all instances pretty much will always be greater than a woman's physical strength. And so I encourage you to simply walk away. You know, leave her there fighting the breeze by herself. Natasha says she uh, need, they need some rehab therapy and major support and I think it's not for lack of other people trying. Uh, Michelle says I know that woman she's a daughter my daughter's age and they attended West Bay Primary. Her daughter used to bully my daughter who's 20 years old now all the time. She was the reason I had to move my daughter to New York. Wow. You know, um, what I will say, Michelle, is unfortunately, when children are growing up in households where that kind of behavior there is what they're being exposed to, and they're being exposed to drug use and all sorts of other stuff, um, you'd be surprised how they act out. And I'm not entirely surprised that her daughter would be bullying other people. She was, I mean, if that happens, especially in primary school, she's trying to figure out how to cope, you know? um, Uh, Just to add on, and our guests are coming on at eight o'clock, but just to add on this tidbit to the conversation, keep in mind, folks, well, the discussion that we had yesterday about NAU. These people are living off of government. These are NAU clients. Government is supporting them. Hmm? They're able bodied people who can get a job that refuse to get work and would rather sit down all day and smoke crack pot drink to their heart's content, get the hair done. I mean, she's got some beautiful braids in her hair, but as someone who is unemployed and receiving NAU funds, one of the questions that came to my mind is how on earth is she paying to go and get hair done? The rest of us have to budget, you know, and these NAU people seem to be having the best of both worlds, not even having to work. Oh my god. Uh, Ms. Dean says 60 years old. OMG, no lessons over the years. Very disgraceful. Maybe, maybe this will get her to adjust her behavior, knowing that when you do this sort of thing, the entire community is now looking at you with a side eye. I don't know. I kind of feel like this is a lost cause. Uh-uh. Uh someone says very sad because Kovan is a sweet person when she can stay sober. Um, this other person says, it's very difficult for the police to deal with because she refuses to give a statement to the police, curses them out, and it. let me say this as an aside. It seems like the West Bay police officers are afraid of her. I, Commissioner, you need some new officers that can actually deal with her in any event because they don't seem prepared to deal with her when complaints are received. Uh, So this person continues, they say, she curses them out and chases them out of the yard. There's a court order that Thor should not be at her address. But whenever they fight and the police come to get him, she hides him. You see what I'm telling you? This is a cycle of abuse, folks. Curses them out and they just leave. According to her, he keeps coming back for the, you fill in the blank, And that's what she tells the police when they ask her why he is there. That's her words, not mine. Person goes on and says this is a common occurrence. They get drunk and high, fight. She calls the police. The police come. She curses the police out, run them out of the yard. And a few days later, it happens again. It's to the point that it's a waste of time for the police. Uh, Very, very sad indeed. And um, poor Covan obviously isn't even thinking about her own health risk. As a woman, um, she should ask him to go get tested for a few things if she was really smart. I'm just saying, people talk on the streets, Kovan. So you might be talking But he's coming to, to taste the goods. You better go check yourself and have him checked out as well because your life could be on the line. Uh, Miss Pat says, um, good morning, Sandy. She needs to respect herself as a big woman so everyone can respect her. Uh, she needs rehab and Jesus. Mm-mm-mm. Dean says her child or children must be embarrassed. Well, I know she has several sons that um, are sure are very, very embarrassed. Um, I'm not too sure about the daughter now because I hear the daughter was kind of following in her footsteps, but I'm hoping she's shaping up. Um, young people, we don't have any control over the environment in which we come from. But there comes a particular time when you're a particular age that then you've got to start making decisions for yourself. And trust me, I of all people know how difficult it is when you have been expose the chaos, but you don't have to repeat that from one generation to the next. You can break the cycle. It's not easy. Nobody's saying it's easy, but you can do it. Um, Alejandro says the police will say it's a civil matter. No, I think in the past they've tried with Colvin and they just know that it's like we're wasting our time. You know, she um, is an enabler of the abuse. And so what can they do? So Siobhan says, sorry to say, but if she's almost 60 and uh, nothing's going to change, unfortunately, hate to say it. Um, Dean says the man obviously fed up and lost his cool and doesn't care. This is, the, this is a constant. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes when we see these matters escalate and they come to court and we hear, oh, you know, this person killed this person, whatever. It's this kind of thing that you don't see that has been going on for years, And at some point it does escalate and someone's going to make a decision that there is no point of return from. I heard recently that he was walking around with a black eye. So maybe she saw the video afterwards and went and boinked him in the eye. I mean, I don't know, but you know, that's, that's the two of them. And I fear that that one day he's going to do something that he's not going to be able to pick her up and shake her out of or vice versa. She's going to do something to him and somebody's going to be dead and somebody's going to be headed to jail for life. Um, I really hope that both Thor and Covan decide to get the much needed help that they obviously need. All right, folks, we've got some guests in the studio, over 300 people on the live stream already. At Don't miss a beat. Make sure that you continue to listen to the program because it's some really important information from Caribbean Utilities Company. We're going to... Um, talk about this violence in our community, which is happening in a lot of our homes. But the most shocking thing, folks, and you will find this shocking, is that it is also happening in our schools. And listen very, very carefully, I've got some video for you all that we'll probably play tomorrow. It's happening in public spaces like Kimana Bay. Y'all wanna see violence? You better tune in for that one to see how our, our young girls are out there fighting each other in public spaces. Oh, that's my little CUC reminder. Oh, yes. Um, They're out there, you know, fighting each other in public spaces. So absolutely ridiculous. Let's take a commercial break, folks, and we'll be right back after these messages. The Department of Environmental Health has announced that the November bulk waste collection schedule has been replaced by one in the month of May, starting with West Bay, May the 1st through the 6th. Please note that following West Bay, there will be a Georgetown bulk waste collection from May the 8th through the 13th and then Bodentown from May the 15th through the 20th, followed by Northside and East End from May the 22nd through the 27th. Stay tuned to this platform for more bulk waste scheduling information.
1: The annual business surveys being conducted by the Economics and Statistics Office, ESO, are ongoing. The surveys run from April 11th to June 16th, 2023 and collect information to answer questions like How did the economy perform in 2022? What is the value of the income received from the rest of the world in 2022? Your response matters. Fill out and return your surveys to the ESO. Remember, better data, better decisions, better business. For assistance, visit... W. E S O. K Y. or call 244-4600 or 244-4676.
3: Ocean Ridge Heights offers an amazing opportunity to own a piece of land in idyllic Cayman Brack, right on the bluff, starting from $80,000. Located in a quiet residential area with high elevation, these lots are ideal for a future home or investment property and are sure to go fast. Cayman Brack offers a laid-back lifestyle, amazing pristine diving, limestone caves, diverse flora, along with amazing wildlife. Inquire about the owner financing options so that you can secure your piece of paradise today. With only a few lots remaining, these are sure to go before you know it. Contact Crichton Properties today on 345-949-5250 or Info at Crichtonproperties.com.
7: Honey, you
8: remember to bring me lunch, right?
4: Oh come on. You know I wouldn't.
2: Seriously? Popeyes? Hmm. Popeyes.
7: Popeye!
2: Popeyes to the rescue again. <laughs>
6: mommy
2: i prefer this to your chicken anyway oh no you didn't k doesn't just like that chicken we love that chicken from popeyes all right folks um welcome back to the program we've got two guests who are going to be joining us here now from caribbean utilities company so um let's park the rest of the conversation good morning to miss sue sonia and others who are tuning into the program This is a really, really uh, important conversation. And of course, first up, we've got Miss Michelle Scott, who is the Director of Customer Service and External Communications. And we also have Jeeva, and I need to get her official title, but Jeeva Richards is also joining us um, over there at uh, Caribbean Utilities Companies. Jeeva, just give me your official full title. Manager
1: of Customer
2: Services. She's Manager of Customer Service. Thank you so much, ladies. Uh, for joining the program as well. So um, we're gonna talk about consumption, which is really, really, um, I think, important. We're now starting to, yesterday I was looking at something in in the weather. They said that Jamaica is having some really high temperatures. I already feel like it's summer here in the Cayman Islands. The mosquitoes certainly don't help. You don't wanna open up the window too too much because they're gonna be flying in. But you know, we're coming into the months now when all of us are gonna be concerned consumption, and we're going to be uh, looking at how best we can keep that under control. So I know that this morning, you'll be giving us some advice, ladies, on uh, what it is that we can do, and um, how we can manage and monitor our usage. So who wants to jump in first this morning?
8: I'll start. Um, And you're spot on, Sandy. So part of the reason we're here in May is because May is literally when that temperature starts to tick up. So, mm. for example, last month, it was an average of 81 degrees. Mm. Last year, May's average temperature was almost 84 degrees. It was 83.5. Wow. So there's a huge jump in terms of, of temperature mm. when we're moving into May. Are you yes. hearing me okay? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, so we, I don't know if you recall, but in 2020, um, the the National Energy Policy Unit actually... Uh, partnered with us in terms of offering a competition for Mm -hmm. doing a retrofit uh, on on a a winner's home. So basically we had individuals submit applications to win this prize Mm -hmm. and we had eight finalists and then the winner had their home retrofitted for energy efficient appliances as well as Foam. Uh, so we, you know, we also partnered with other um, other, other businesses like cooling pros, cooling and, and foam pros. And we tracked after that the impact on the winner of mm-hmm. having those energy efficiency upgrades. Mm. It was drastic. I think you have a slide, the next slide. Yes it will show you that when we change that air conditioning, so that solid orange line there, Mm -hmm. shows you the winter's consumption, their electricity consumption. When you hit that first green line is when we put in the spray foam. And then the second green line uh, going up and down is when the new AC was installed in September, right? Right? And do do you see that change? And we know that September is one of the hottest months in the year. Now mm-hmm. that blue line in the on the bottom, mm-hmm. that's 2022. That's after all of the changes have been made. Wow! So I I think that just speaks volumes. And, yeah. and the little dotted lines above show you the temperature. In mm-hmm. terms of um, you can see that consumption typically follows the temperature, uh, which is why, like I said, we're here in May. Um, mm-hmm. but that blue line I think says so 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 much in terms of how having an Efficient air conditioner um, can really play a role in terms of how much electricity your home consumes.
6: Huh.
8: So I know this unit, um, they uh, led by Kristen Smith, is actually looking at other ways that they can partner with the public and try to help you know consumers actually bring their electricity consumption down. They have DIY audits. Uh, and we are working on things behind the scenes as well. So that's one of the things that Jeeva can walk you through in terms mm-hmm. of we were looking at how can we help our customers yeah. actually see how much they're consuming. Mm-hmm. So She went to do this project on average, a home audit actually costs between a thousand and two thousand and $2,000. That was mind boggling to us because then, mm. you know, if someone can afford to perform this energy efficiency audit on their home, do you have the money left over to actually make the changes after you get the findings?
2: Yes. And this, this winner, um, Soursop is saying, how did I not hear about this? Um, this was part of a competition uh, that CUC um, had put on. And then basically you guys um, paid the cost of the audit for the winner. Did you help them actually, did you cover the cost of implementing those changes as well? So
8: I would like to, one quick correction is actually the ministry through the national energy policy unit who actually right. ran the competition and we partnered with them okay. um, to provide assistance but uh yes the costs were provided entirely for the retrofit
2: mm-hmm. okay let's address king he's jumped in he's in the uk king says kismetit if you want to help take a cut back from profits so um l- let me address this <laughs> on behalf of CUC. Because King, I have looked at my bill. Now, I am a high-end user. So I use a lot of kilowattage. I work from home. I'm running businesses from home. So I don't sit here and look at my bill going, oh God, I don't know why my bill is high. I know exactly why my bill is high because I'm using a lot of electricity. However, and I'm also, I have solar panels and the whole nine yards. I've done as much as I can to try to mitigate um, my expenses, right? But what I will say is this, when I look and I examine my bill, The bit, the part of the bill that concerns me, that is my most cost of my bill is actually the fuel factor, Mm -hmm. which is not something that CUC can control. And I want to remind people, because every time we say it, people are like, oh my God, I didn't know that. The fuel factor is a pass through expense. So CUC doesn't mark it up. They don't make any profits on it. What they pay, they pass on to the people of the Cayman Islands. And I also want, just for the sake of, um, you know, lending to hopefully a little bit better understanding of what CUC does, King, the next time you come to Cayman, I will ensure that you get a tour of the CUC plant, of their facility, and see how much of their profits they take and reinvest into this country to ensure that we have the most reliable electricity in the entire region.
8: Anyway, I agree. agree. And I'd like to address King's comment, Um, you know, so to Sandy's point. Yes, we reinvest our profits into this country. This is a this is a million dollar industry. It you know, it takes a lot of money to to provide electricity. But that being said, the amount of profits that we make are also determined based on the level of consumption as well. And, you know, we're actually here saying. Let's help you bring down that consumption. Let's help you learn the ways that you can manage that consumption and bring it down. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that we are actually one of the highest consumers of electricity per capita in the Caribbean. When I say that, I mean the Cayman mm-hmm. Islands. And that's, I mean, when you think about it, when you go to visit those other islands like Jamaica or Turks and Caicos, you know, they have open air homes. They're not utilizing air conditioning. And mm-hmm. air conditioning is 45 to 55 percent of your electricity consumption if you have one in your home. So we recognize it's hot. And we have the benefit of having, um, you know, homes with air conditioning in them. Mm -hmm. That being said, we now want to help the public understand how can you reduce the consumption that that air conditioning is leading to. We're not saying don't use it. We're just saying let's talk about how to manage it.
2: All right, here's another good question. We do have a caller on the line. So caller, give me one quick second. Carmelie says, why do we have to pay for the CUC fuel? <laughs> Carmelie, it's called business 101. When you're in business, everything that the person's called cost of goods in, in most accounting systems, right? It's, it's like going into a clothing store and you say, well, why do I have to pay for your electricity bill? Why do I have to pay for you to have staff? The only difference is CUC tells you as a line item breakdown, what it is that you're actually paying for. When you go pick up a dress and you see a dress marked up, you don't understand the market. You're just like, oh, this dress is too expensive. I'm not going to pay this. You don't see the hidden costs involved in operating the business. So people have to pay for the utilities. They have to pay for their rent. They have to pay for staff. They have to cover all of their expenses and make a profit or they wouldn't be in business. It wouldn't be business. It would be a charity. So everybody makes you pay for it. The difference is with CUC, they actually break it down and tell you that you're paying for it. So that little bit of extra knowledge, it's important for you to understand that that's how your electricity bill is done. Nobody else really does it. Um, Flow does it to like a smaller extent. I think they have a charge on there for, I can't remember what it is, the one or $2 that keeps going up or whatever. You know, that's for... I forget what they, you know, they have like one little line item on there, but they're not breaking it down in the way. And and I want to make it very clear. I think part of why people don't get it is they don't understand also that the electricity industry is different than other types of businesses. So CUC is committed to coming on the program every single month to try to educate people so that hopefully you can understand some of the reasoning behind why things are done. And you can learn a little bit more about the energy business as well. So good morning, caller, and welcome to the program. Hello? Caller? I can hear you. All right, try try again. Um, the connection might not have come through. Uh, Alejandro says, why do we have to pay for our, our car gas? <laughs> I mean, because you're using it and it takes fuel for generators to be used and to provide you with the electricity that you use all right let's see i think the caller might be back good morning caller hello hi there
1: hi good morning i just had a quick question for the the folks at cuc i know in kim and brack they have the pay as you go
7: meters yes
1: and i've seen those meters and you can you can see in live like real time exactly what your usage mm-hmm. is per hour like I know that CUC has the online system, but uh-huh. is there a reason that why we can't have the pay as go Okay, is there uh, a reason behind that? I just feel like I, I know you have the online system where you can check, but it's not, from my understanding, it's not as as much in real time as the pay as go That's correct.
7: Uh,
8: we actually had so for about out two out years thank okay, you. Okay. Okay. Yeah, sorry sorry uh, no i really appreciate that question we've actually had prepay electricity services for almost two years now um so we do offer that service uh mm-hmm. our service is a little bit different from what is offered in the Brac, um but it does offer that same visibility that the caller was speaking about i mm-hmm. had it for two years prior to the launch because obviously we test significantly before we go live with the service it was amazing. I loved, mm-hmm. it, loved, it. Loved it. Loved it. You can see, um, you know, you c- you can see every day how much your electricity is costing. Um, you get notifications saying, "Hey, you you used thirty five dollars of electricity today." Which let me tell you, when I got that notification, I was like, "What? <laughs> Why thirty five dollars in one day?" Anyway, mm-hmm. that turned out to be my um, uh, teenage son messing with the air conditioning, mm-hmm. but. Um, it, it really, really, really helps you to budget, and you don't have to pay, you know, every three days. You can you can pay up front. Say maybe say your budget is four hundred dollars, or two hundred dollars, or a hundred and fifty, whatever your budget is. You put that on mm-hmm. there, and you manage your daily consumption. So we do offer that, mm-hmm. and, but perhaps we need to do a better job and of getting that out in the public. Get the
2: word out there. Yeah.
8: We can come back and do a walkthrough on that one, Sandy.
2: Absolutely. You know that sounds fantastic, and um, we'll hold some of the questions. Um, until the end, I think, because we do want to get through. Our guests do have some limited time, and so do I this morning. But, um, you know, uh, Luis says, good morning, K-Man. bless. I must say that CUC is really reliable. Um, you go to Honduras, the power goes off every day, sometimes more than once a day. And this is one of the things that I think a lot of people don't always appreciate is the reliability factor. We're so spoiled. We've gotten so used to, like, when we do have an outage, you know, we're like, oh, my God, I have to sleep a couple of hours without AC at night. But as, um, you know, Luis says, it's not just Honduras. It's Cuba. It's Jamaica. I mean, a lot of people struggle. A lot of u- energy companies struggle, especially during the warmer months, um, to keep the utility on, literally to keep the lights on. And so, you know, we are, I think, in an enviable position to have what's what's your up your up? Uh, take like how how long are you guys that what's your percentage of time that uh, you don't have any outages i don't know if you have that available well
8: we our ultimate goal is to basically have each customer experience a maximum of two hours in terms of outages per year mm. um so that's 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 what we're our aim is and we're coming really close to that obviously it differs by a district um, and mm-hmm. you know storms can impact that. But that gives you an idea of how reliable um, we are.
2: Mm-hmm. And King says, wow, that's a big insight, thank you. I'm here in the UK where my consumption has went down, but my bill has tripled, it's wild. And to King's point, let me say this, and I think Carmelie is also asking about, you know, she's not quite understanding the whole thing about gas costs and fuel. But every single company around the world is using fossil fuel or some types of, of energy. Um, you know, they're looking at renewable energy options, which CUC has been on the program, talking about their journey to renewable energies. That's a process, and they'll continue to have that discussion. But King, you know, everything in terms of fuel around the world has been going up. So imagine if you your bill in the UK has tripled, although your consumption has come down you know what the cost of living for everything is here in the Cayman Islands, including air fuel costs. You understand really where the cost of that CUC bill is heavily impacted. So these ladies um, have come on the program today to talk about what you can do, what every single consumer can do to try to bring these costs down. So tell us a little bit, I mean, we see this amazing um, slide here of how we've got some other slides, but how, um, this one consumer after having an energy audit implementing, you know, certain, um, changes has made a significant, and I mean, this is a big drop. How much do we have any idea? What is this in dollar and cents? Like what did it go from to,
8: um, so they went from an average of over $700 per month, mm-hmm. um, to a two to $300 per month.
2: Wow.
8: Yeah, and there was no addition of solar, um, you know, none of that. This is just literally changing out appliances and making the home more efficient. No change in um, behavior patterns. I will say, obviously, once you get your home to the point of being more efficient, eventually behavior does start to change because you're like, I can afford to make the AC a little bit lower, right? You know? um, but for yes, this is this is just making the house more efficient.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, and what are what are the biggest consumers um, of electricity in your home? Like what's pulling the most energy?
8: It's usually anything in relation to cooling because we're so hot. So Caymanians love to have an extra fridge or a deep freeze in the garage. Mm-hmm. Um, the air conditioning, as we've mentioned, um, uh, you know, that little small bear fridge, You have on the porch for when your friends come over and then, and, and pools, anyone that has a pool, a lot of times the pool pump as well is a really big electricity Mm -hmm. consumer. So those are the big ticket items that we typically see, but Mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, sorry, 9.9 times out of 10
1: Mm -hmm. it's
8: the air conditioning. Mm. So we, we did um, like I mentioned earlier, when we saw the audits and how much they cost, Mm-hmm. we wanted our customers to actually have access to that uh, mm-hmm. you know we wanted them to have the ability to actually see where is my consumption coming from because that's the hard thing about electricity we we enjoy it, mm-hmm. it it's invisible so you can't see okay well if i tweak this and if i tweak mm-hmm. this, this will be better and you've got you know you've got 10 items that are five percent
3: and mm-hmm.
8: well, that's 50 percent of your electricity right there mm-hmm. so if able to see that maybe unplug things or, or even remove them from your life completely then you can make your consumption be adjusted so we took a look at a at, at a device that we really like and it, it doesn't have to be through CUC you can order the device yourself mm-hmm. we're not here to try to sell a service we're de- just here to educate mm-hmm. um, but at the same time we're willing to facilitate as well Mm -hmm. and the device is so effective but i'll i'll let jiva speak to our program that we're trying to implement
1: hi again sandy so um to nichelle's point um the audit one of the things that we the the devices that was actually um recommended or used by uh, one of the partners was cooling pros and that device was um was called um emporia right Uh the emporia device essentially allows um, allows us to connect to the breakers directly for each in the panel and allows us to um, to kind of monitor the consumption of what's attached to that breaker so typically speaking um you'll have one breaker dedicated to things like air conditioning um mm-hmm. if your units they'll have their own breaker they connect to that you're able to similarly with um Big-ticket items such as, like you know, like stoves. You no, know, if you have a gas, an electric stove, and you cook a lot, or um, a refrigerator, uh, those type of good, those type of items that are usually the ones that consume a lot of electricity. And what this device does is it allows us to monitor um, and log the usage uh, in terms of consumption for each of those devices, and allows us to create a pattern so that um, we can see what your biggest consumers are. Um, even to the point of when they're consuming electricity. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is um, we we purchased some of these devices, and we're actually created a pilot program with the intent mm. that we would, we would we would launch it out to our customers. We're looking for our participants. We've started it, and we're looking for about 25 additional participants mm. um, that that will be able to you know see how how it works for them, um, seek their feedback. We've um, we've created um, a form that they would have to use for registration of it, but it's a completely free program at this stage in pilot. So um, it'll provide a lot of information that would help customers identify what's consuming their electricity and therefore be able to make adjustments in terms of um, how the, you know if they maybe the AC is deficient, Maybe it's an older AC because that's some of the data that we're collecting. Like how long, um, how old is the device? You know what? Uh, how you know what? What's the sizes? What's the efficiency uh-huh. that you're able to provide at the end of that? Um, so we're we're thinking around about we. So far, our pilot has told us that it, the device would need to be installed for a minimum of two weeks uh-huh. to get um, the data um that allows us to kind of give you know there's a lot of uh patterns that you can basically determine from that time frame Mm -hmm. but at the end of that produce a report for our customers that will help them understand better what's consuming their electricity and you know our end goal is obviously to give them that information so that they can then make the adjustments because to Nichelle's point earlier we are we are the electricity company on island and uh consumption is one would think if you know, our goal is not to have customers consume beyond their ability to manage, mm-hmm. but to show
2: them how they can best,
1: um, you know, manage their so that they themselves are, are able to, you know, pour those bills.
2: No, absolutely. And I think sometimes people would be really, really surprised um, to know what's pulling what. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna check one of these out because I'm very very interested in this personally. Yes. But I know my husband has done some that um, the plug-in is like at the device point, which you can only do so many of those. This is probably more accurate because it's going directly through the panel box. Uh, but yeah, when he did that, I mean, one of the things that is pulling a lot for me happens to be uh, the computer that I use for like the show yeah. and other stuff. It's on 24 seven. And it is, you know, a high end computer. So it pulls, he said, you know, look at, look at the usage on your PC. And I was like, wow, well, what am I going to do about that? (laughs) You know, um, in this case, this is for work and I can justify that cost, but it was still a real eye opener for me to know that that one device was pulling so much energy. Sandy
8: that's a great point. Gaming computers. I should have mentioned as well, I have three sons and Gaming computers use a lot of electricity Mm -hmm. Uh, or if you do a lot of laundry, washing and drying all day, that can impact as well. But I do want to say if if customers want to go out and buy this device themselves, they should not install it themselves. They should have an electrician install this. I really, really want to be clear on that. Um, You know, we're not saying not to buy it yourself. It's a great Mm -hmm. device. It comes with an app. You showed it on the screen. The app is Mm -hmm. fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And it works with solar as well. I know you have solar on your um, on your roof. So yes. it does work with that as well to track your solar production. Um, okay. So that's pretty fantastic. It shows you that versus your consumption. But it should be installed by a licensed electrician.
7: Mm-hmm.
8: Really want to make that clear. Please, please, please don't go out there and just try to do this yourself. Right.
2: Yeah um very good so um, let's just go through uh, some more of your slides ladies um, so tell us a little bit now about um, this customer connect and what this is going to assist people in doing
8: so you can find this on our my cuc um, section of the website where you can log in see your bills pay your bills but it also will give you direct access to your meter consumption Um, So the red arrow there is showing where to find the button to customer connect. And when Mm -hmm. you click that button, it will take you to the screen, the dashboard that's on the right. um, And what you want to select is your meter usage chart. So Mm -hmm. um, once you get to that meter usage chart at any point in time, you know, if you're if you're someone trying to manage your budget, and especially in the summer, uh, you can click on, say, I suggest doing it at least once a week, say, maybe every Friday. You click there and you check, OK, what is my bill so far for the month? Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to do prepay, this is one of the ways of being able to check and see what your consumption is so far under your postpay service um, before your bill comes, mm-hmm. helping you to to balance that. Now, there are slight differences in terms of the timing of the reads for this mm-hmm. display versus when the reads we take for billing. So yes. there's like sometimes like a twenty five dollar difference because mm-hmm. these reads are like midnight.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs>
8: um and
2: really helps pan pan uh, Pancage, i hope i'm pronouncing that right says i like this um customer connect option on the cuc webpage. it gives me a break a breakup daily of my usage and no surprises to my bill at the end of the month so Absolutely. um we have used it as well before and in fact when i had a retail space uh, it has a feature where you can um get like a daily alert once you exceed yeah. A certain amount of usage and so i had that feature on and child every time i would get that little ping i was like oh my god <laughs> yeah. i think i kind of agree with um who was it that said um they don't know if they want to know every day because that might inspiring says i think it's more stressful to see your daily consumption i prefer to pay monthly instead of seeing that bill daily no thank you but um it does inspire really keep you um on your toes now of yeah. course i was here messaging Marlon saying "Hey." Maybe we should look into this. Marlon's like, we got it already. And he <laughs> sent me, <laughs> listen, I just leave, he, he's the IT man around the place. So I just leave him to do his thing. And so we actually have this device already installed. So this is the one that I guess I was talking about, didn't even know it. So here yeah. we are and it shows our usage and guess what? Just like you said, honey child, those AC units, look at them, they're all the way at the top in terms of total usage. Then we've got the dryer, which is pretty high up there as well. Um, his data room. We've got a, the ice machine. The ice machine is using so much. Anything what? that cools. Anything that cools. Yes. Oh. Huh. Uh, AC handler, water cooler, refrigerator, entertainment center, wine chiller. It's all on there, honeychelle. So yep. This, this, this gives you a pretty good idea. But look at the AC units. 21% for AC compressor number two, I gotta ask him which one that is, but I think that's probably the one that does the the bedrooms cause that does like the office. So that's on the whole time I'm doing my show. And then I try to turn it on when I leave out for the day, but still that's 21%. And then the other two units, one is the family room and one is the master at 20%. Wow. That's crazy. So that's 60, over 60% total for and your my air Is air conditioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
8: And and yeah. Then, oh, this is great.
2: Yeah. So you can actually see your daily or your monthly um, yeah. movements. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty interesting. Okay. Well, Um. so this uh, um connect, uh, check it out folks. It's a good service that CUC has offered for many, many years. A lot of times, you know, you don't know that's available and that's why people are not using it. So please go and have a look. Uh, let's see what other, what else we've got here. Oh yes, yeah. so this is a graph now showing someone's total usage and then what it's costing for that usage?
8: Yes, so at the, the very bottom line uh, shows you the dollar amount mm-hmm. and then the different colors speak to the different components of the bill. So if you hover over them, it will show you, you can see the far left blue is the fuel cost. Um, mm-hmm. so if you Hover over it on the screen when you're in the My CUC app, it will show you uh, this information. This and is one month worth of this data.
2: So that I mean, it looks like fifty three twenty three. That's the fuel. Yes. Yeah. So again, I mean, when you look at this bill, folks, to the point um, to King and even Carmeli that we were making about that fuel factor, this fuel factor is half of your bill, basically, almost. I mean, the bill is one hundred and sixteen dollars, and fifty three twenty three of that is straight fuel, no markup. Nobody's making any money on that, other than the fuel companies, really. Um, you know, wow.
8: And that blue line Sunday is the temperature. So as you can, so uh, every summer, every summer we receive so many calls and emails. Are you sure this is right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my, my bill wasn't like this in May or February, but mm-hmm. as the temperature increases, you can see that consumption follows the temperature.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, Miss Sue is saying that she's upgraded her CUC five last year, five grand it cost me. It did help a lot, but now April bills so much more again. And she says CUC is making big profits. What do you think um, is likely going on uh, in this situation? If she just upgraded her AC unit, but sometimes you've got to do more than just upgrade an AC unit, right? There could be other things, um, um, but you know, she's seeing an increase. Ms. Sue, I'm curious if you've looked at usage. Has usage gone up or down? Uh, what was fuel factor at right now? Um, has it stabilized? I know it was at an all-time high, I think, last summer. Uh, I think we're in the $0.20, 20, 20 cent
8: range mm-hmm. um, off the top of my head. I can't recall. Jeeva, do, do you recall?
1: Yeah, it's around about there. It's just just under 20 Mm-hmm.
8: Um, but in, in relation to what she's experiencing, please feel free to email us at service.cuc.ky at and, you know, potentially maybe she can be one of the audit participants. Absolutely. Mm.
2: Yeah. So give them a call, Ms. Um Sue. Uh, you might be surprised. Um, she is a senior on a fixed budget. Um, uh, Victor Lokoy says everyone forgets that there's also government tax on the fuel. Now, to be fair to government, Dr. Lokoy, um, you know, when they were contemplating, and this was last year during the the fuel spikes, when they were contemplating how do they help the people and they looked at actually removing the fuel um, cost or the fuel duty as one of the potential options. It turns out the fuel duty, again, you know, this is just straight numbers. It's not as much as people think. On an average bill, I think it worked out to be like $6 and change. And the government said that's not enough, and that's why they went with the option of giving everyone who was using above what was it two was it two thousand kilowatts what whatever um, yeah, yeah. that they would just give 100%. them like a, a fixed rate or whatever, which worked out to be significantly more than it would have been had they just removed the fuel duty. So the duty isn't as much as you think. The duty is not what's impacting it. It's actually the cost of fuel. And to James's point, I mean, James says the only way that we can reduce fuel costs is simply to use less fuel, and this is why looking at renewable energy options um, is really, really uh, the way to go. So, you know, CUC so has said they're they're working very, very aggressively in a renewable energy policy, and we will be hearing more about that. We've heard a little bit about that already, and there will be uh, more to come. So we've got questions I see here about solar and stuff. I don't think that's for these ladies. They were specifically speaking about, um, you know, your consumption and the things that what they have in place in terms of the um, CUC Connect app um, and you know things that you can do in this moment. And you know you'd be surprised what you can do. But reach out to them, uh, Jeeva and Nishal. Give us the best contact numbers if someone wants to inquire about maybe getting assistance with an audit. Or you know, looking at their bill to see how they can try to uh, make some improvements.
1: So, um, the directly to our customer service department. So, um, the nine four nine fifty two hundred is customer service. Email service at cec that comes straight through to all of our personal So, And those would be the ones that um, that we would be able to uh, schedule right there. So, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll also, we, we encourage people to reach out to us, obviously, if they have any questions or concerns about their bills and, or want tips or, or information, but also if they're interested in participating, um, well, you know, we encourage them to, you know, reach out to us, but we will also, we have been mm-hmm. reaching out proactively as well
2: and we'll continue right. to do so. Sounds wonderful. Soursop says that I had to stop using my central AC because I was cooling my entire house just to sleep at night. So I got a window unit for the bedroom. What a difference. I only turn on the central AC for company now. Um, And that's that's great. I mean, we have split units. And I know for a fact that even at night we're cooling just because of the design of the house, which we didn't do. But, you know, we're cooling more rooms than we really need. Um, because one unit is controlling multiple rooms. And I've kind of thought about like Soursop, if there was a way to kind of be more energy efficient about that. But thanks for that suggestion. El Rey also says, um, invest in spray foam insulation and high efficiency AC units. Um, (laughs) Soursop says, but at the same time, I'm kind of imprisoned in my bedroom now. Shall go out there and enjoy some fresh breeze. Well, not right now because the mosquitoes We're gonna talk about them tomorrow uh thank you ladies so much so we had the manager for customer service uh miss jeeva richards we appreciate you coming on the program thank you thank you for having us and um of course michelle scott who's director of customer service and external communications thank you both thank you for having us sandy all right guys have a beautiful day All right, folks, so we're gonna continue the show today. Uh, Thank you very, very much for the feedback. And of course, thank you to our guests for coming on. So we've got two amazing um, video clips for you. Speaking now as we were just to see you see, stay tuned because the first one we're gonna play is um, one from Senator Elizabeth um, Thompson. She is a um, former minister of energy and environment in Barbados, uh, an amazing speaker. And she was the guest speaker recently at CUC's Women in Energy Conference. And this was an amazing conference. If you guys missed it, you really did uh, miss a good time. But here's the keynote speaker from that event. And then after that keynote speaker, we will have Marla Dukran, who again is a, um, a Caribbean economist, an amazing, again, professional in her own right. And she is really something else as well. So uh, sit back and enjoy both of these amazing uh, presentations and interviews.
9: I want to thank the Master of Ceremonies for her very kind introduction and recognize the chairman of CUC, CEO Hume, CFO Lawrence, directors and other members of your executive staff, sisters and brothers from CUC and other companies, thank you for
7: the invitation.
10: I want to thank the
9: Master of Ceremonies for her very kind introduction, and recognize the chairman of CUC, CEO Hume, CFO Lawrence, directors and other members of your executive staff, sisters and brothers from CUC and other companies. Thank you for the invitation. I'm delighted to be back in Cayman. But I have to confess that I do not often get the opportunity to speak in the area in which I'm trained and specialize, and therefore um, to come to an energy meeting and to come to a a meeting in particular where women who work in this space are present is extremely engaging and and joyful for me. So thank you at many levels. Uh, I also want to particularly recognize my countrywoman, Pat Bino-Clark. who. who met me yesterday wearing her Barbados national colors, I, I, was, I was thrilled. Uh, let me say to you that I have been put in a very difficult position because Joy or Emule, who I hope that's the correct pronunciation, um, was really very uh, efficient and kind in making all the arrangements for me to be here, but she set to me an impossible task. She really asked me to speak to you in a few minutes on a subject that really is the substance of a lecture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Specifically, I've been asked to speak to the topic, power to change, how are women embracing their roles in the 21st century, that assumes that they are, and what challenges and opportunities can we embrace? How do we remain energized and have and live balanced lives. There's no such thing. Um, (laughs) And then she asked me to address some specific questions. Acknowledge where women are coming from in the work environment and where we have reached. Discuss the power of sisterhood and how working together can make it easier uh, for ourselves and each other. How do women stay connected with each other and support and promote each other? women who have taken risks, how resilient we are, how we can stay strong in the face of adversity, discuss the challenges in the energy industry, why we are not seeing large-scale numbers of women in in line person's roles, STEM and other male-dominated areas in the Caribbean region, data to support it. Carrie how can we be at the forefront of the energy transition and transformation that is coming, and how do we ready ourselves for the next big thing in the energy space? What does the future look like? How do we stay energized and keep challenging ourselves? Did you bring your pajamas? (laughs) (laughs) It is really a a Herculean task to try to cover all of that in in just a few minutes, so um, I'm going to try. Let me start by attempting to frame context, because I do not believe that we can discuss women in energy or women in renewable energy outside of the frame of the context within which women uh, operate. And to frame the context, since you are people who deal in energy and many of you are engineers and technical people, I want to give you some of the data because there is a perception, particularly across the Caribbean, that women have done extremely well, that we are advancing in particular careers and in the socioeconomic space and that there is really no need to rebalance equalize or address inequities because the inequities do not exist. This is the fallacy that is being put out. And therefore, it is useful in order to understand and attempt to address the question of where we are, where we have come from, and where we need to go to contextualize it by analyzing some of the data that you when you disaggregate, when you drill down, You you come up with these numbers. And I have deliberately cast my net wide to get a general picture and then focused in specifically on energy. I am citing for you as my sources, for those of you who want to continue reading or analysis, uh, the World Economic Forum's data on the gender gap, the global gender gap. The reports of the uh, consultancy company McKinsey, uh, I think it's called Women Matter, as my two primary sources, and I have used also data from the International Labor Organization. Thirty-two percent of the jobs in renewable energy are taken by women, 32 percent only. And I want to congratulate CUC for its excellent strides in attempting to create equality for women working in this space. In the oil and gas sector, it is 22%. The talent loss from the energy industry of its female uh, staff is higher, far higher, than its male staff. In the oil and gas sector, 33% of the jobs are entry level go to women. As you climb the executive chain, the number shrinks exponentially. 41% of STEM jobs um, are specifically in the energy, in, uh, energy space at various levels, and 48% of women uh, are in STEM jobs industry-wide. Women are 57% of US college graduates, uh, and that will give you some idea then of the disparity between the number of women graduating and the number of women getting jobs at executive or professional levels. And in the Caribbean, uh, petroleum and mechanical engineering jobs are only 15% female. So you start to see how the numbers are shrinking down. In the Caribbean, the uh, number of UE graduates that are male really run up to about 70%. Um, and yet, in the majority, women are the majority of the poor. Women are still across the Caribbean and globally, including in the United States, working for between 60 to 70 cents for every man's dollar. Uh, there are the majority of the unemployed, there are the majority of the underemployed, and the evidence including in the Caribbean is that women uh, tend to take longer to be employed than men after graduation. So that is even when men graduate at the bottom of the class, they get jobs first. And there are in the minority as well. Um, So that gives you an idea as to whether companies and government space is really employing the best talent if they're not taking the people who are graduating in the majority and are at the top of the class. In the United States, only 7.4% of women lead Fortune 500 companies. Now to take that to overall investment in oil and gas. 2021 investment was 602 billion US dollars in renewable energy. It was 755 billion in oil and gas. 2022, 628 billion and renewable energy. 2.4 trillion. So that gives you a sense, and I'm I'm putting that data out here now because it gives you a sense of what is happening in terms of investment in the space. And I will make some points coming toward the end about where where we are going or where we need to go. The World Economic Forum has indicated that um, in East Asia and Africa, it will take 195 years to bridge the gap of social and economic empowerment uh, between men and women. Pre-COVID, in the rest of the world, it was 99.5 years. Post-COVID, it is 135.6. And they have a a list of criteria that they use, jobs, um, STEM, uh, property ownership, access to land, access to education, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's, that's the kind of criteria that is used. And politically, it will take 145.5 years. In the Caribbean, women are still between 10 to 20% only. Uh, in most countries, 10% of policymakers, members of parliament, members of cabinet, etc. At the United Nations, that great international policy-making organization, which is driving global affairs, 81% of the 165 countries have never had a female representative. Twenty percent only of U.N. ambassadors are female. Uh, When I was there, 50 percent of the Caribbean ambassadors were female, but then a few of us got recalled, so it's no longer the case. Twenty six percent of parliamentarians across the world are female. Twenty two percent of ministers across the world are female. And ten percent, I gave you this statistic already, of Caribbean. Uh, members of Parliament are female. Of the 119 countries, uh, 119 countries at the United Nations have never, um, sorry, 119 countries across the world have never been led by a woman. Four countries at the UN have, only four countries at the UN have 50% female representation on their delegations. So what CUC has been able to accomplish is really remarkable because it doesn't happen routinely, it doesn't happen at the political level, and it doesn't happen in the corporate space. University of the West Indies lecturer Cynthia Barrow Giles says that patriarchy is a world order. So What causes this? And I'd like to suggest there are a number of things. One is conscious and unconscious bias. Boston University did a study. Uh, They noticed that uh, women would apply for jobs, men would apply, uh, women would interview really well, they'd have the better CV, they wouldn't get the job. And they did a study and um, they invited very well qualified women in. They were better qualified than the men. They invited men in. They set up interviewing panels. They they studied them. Men kept getting the jobs. They decided that something had to be wrong, so they asked um, the interviewers. Uh, they separated the interviewers and the, the interviewees. Um, they changed the voices. Um, you know that technology that and and they did them. The men still kept getting the jobs. So the people who did the study went back to the drawing board and said, look, something is going wrong. We are seeing the interviews. We are seeing the CVs. We know these women are better qualified than the men. What is happening? And then somebody had the brilliant idea of letting the women and the men who were going to be interviewed, they set the same thing up, blind blind interview, voice changing, there was one difference. Everybody entered the room barefooted. Mm-hmm. The women got the jobs.
7: Mm-hmm.
9: <laughs> the, the interviewers were hearing the high heels yep. of the women. Mm-hmm. The unconscious bias that existed was driving the outcome. So that we are struggling against all kinds of things. So you have a brilliant CV, you, you know that you're, <laughs> strongly articulate you, you are charming and engaging. You've got great experience, but you're wearing high heels girlfriend, that's your problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's what I talk about, conscious and unconscious bias. And the more I think about it, the more I recognize that we raise our boys and girls very differently. We raise them with unconscious bias. We tell, we give our girls dolls. And we hold our dolls here, and we love them, and we kiss them, and we play with them here. And so the space that we occupy is right around here, always here, always nurturing, always caring, always giving of ourselves. And we put a football in our boys' hands, and we say to them, get out there, get the ball in between that space, knock down the opposition, run the whole space between here and the goalposts. And the boys become more rugged. They, they have to dominate the space. They have to compete. And so they get a sense that they were born to lead. They were born to take a massive space and that that is what they should occupy. But our girls don't necessarily have that same vision of themselves because there's, it's a different kind of experience. And so, and I know that women are gonna tell me that's true, you go into a room and you're there, you're well qualified, but you still have imposter syndrome. You're at the table and you're thinking, oh my God, am I really here? How did I get there? Girl, you deserve the space. Mm -hmm. The challenge is that when our women get the space, they don't bring other women into the space. They don't consciously try to ensure that they pull their chair around for the others, for the other women who are well qualified. And very often, I see it all the time. I, I watch men come into a room and I watch women come into a room. They're all there for the same purpose. The women are articulate, they're equally well qualified. And they will sit, if there are two um, levels of chairs, they will sort of look around and say, well, where should I sit? And a lot of them will sit in the second row all the time. Watch a space, watch any professional space where there are women and men, and you will see this over and over, imposter syndrome. Um, so so that's, that's two things that I've put forward in, in terms of uh, bias in the sectors uh, and generally um, the way we raise girls so that they are not necessarily entering, uh, seeking to enter certain spaces. Um, and third, I think that girls are regarded as not being good at science. So they are not taught science well. They're not encouraged to go into STEM fields. And there are no support mechanisms for women who seek to enter this space. Uh, When I decided that I was going to do a degree, a master's in oil and gas law with a subspecialty in renewable energy, nobody encouraged me to do it. I, I mean, it. Nobody at all. Uh, the thing was, well, why would you want to do that? Oil and gas. Yeah, but what would you do with this degree? Uh, there was not a single person who said to me, "Fantastic congratulations." And when I finished my um, master's, of course, I'd had you know other, other academic qualifications and um, had a career um, which gave me solid experiential, experiential um, solid experience. Um, what I found was that people were coming to me, because it turned out, I didn't know it at the time, that I was the only person with a degree in oil and la- gas law in, in the Eastern Caribbean. the only person. And I had no idea when I did it that it would suddenly open a door for me because, you know, people who wanted somebody with these particular skills, there I was after nobody had encouraged me to do it. So um, we are not encouraging women to go into STEM fields. uh, And we're particularly not encouraging them to go into oil and gas or into renewable energy. And the data, about 20% and the 30%, which I gave earlier, shows that despite all the talk, really the the numbers of women in these spaces still remains very low. Energy has extreme implications for women's poverty, women's health, um, women's access, Uh, It isn't the Caribbean experience, but we know that in Africa, for instance, and certain parts of Asia, because women spend all of their time gathering firewood and um, cooking over wood fires without access to modern energy sources that, bronchial, rhinotracheal, respiratory diseases among women and young children are extremely high and they tend to die very early from these diseases. And it's obvious why the children are affected because the women are cooking over the smoking fires and the children are with them inside, playing. They're close by, they're on their backs, etc. You know, you you see them often, the image of the, the child strapped to the back. So children, young children are particularly affected. You cannot give birth uh, without proper access to energy and clean water. Uh, That is just the reality. Access to energy um, and light makes it impossible for a lot of girls to go to school across the world, particularly in Islamic countries where, uh, because of the lack of proper sanitary conditions and separated space, girls cannot um, be in uh, a space. um, to get education, for obvious reasons, um, so the access to energy, therefore, is critical to women's development and to the protection of children. Now, to try to move, I forgot to put, set my clock. So sorry, Joy. <laughs> okay, so to try, so I'll sort of give them both a generic and an energy background. And the broad point that I'm making here is this. We cannot attempt to fix a problem in energy that is far wider than that. This is not exclusively an energy challenge. Bringing women into the energy space might be our objective. But the problem is not in energy only, and therefore, what I'm going to attempt to do is to make some broad suggestions as to what we can do at the wider level that will influence the energy space, and then I'm going to speak to things that I think we can specifically do in the energy space. I think we have to start at the very basic level by asking ourselves questions about the way we raise our girls and boys. One. Two, I think that we have to really do very detailed surveys amongst executives, HR, about hiring practices to try to eliminate biases that might be unconscious in terms of our hiring practices. We have to try to create spaces that are welcoming of women. I remember Dame Billy Miller saying to me that when she was elected um, as the first female parliamentarian in, uh, since, the 19, since 1961, so in, in, she was elected in 1976, there wasn't even a female bathroom in parliament. It was as basic as that. There was no expectation that there would have been female MPs. So what would you need a female bathroom for? Hmm? Um, So the the wider point that I'm making is that our spaces are not structured in a way to make it easy for women who still have the principal responsibility of caregiving and child rearing to come into certain spaces. Do we need creches in the workplace? Do we need to give, um, does the company need to provide uh, a bus that will pick children up? in the evening so that women aren't leaving, getting into uh, the, uh, the transport se- uh, sector, into the roads um, to go to pick up children and then still have to get back to work, etc. What are the, and men don't have to do a lot of these things. Th- these are women's jobs. And I often, I say to people, I remember once a male colleague and I were going to represent Barbados at a conference. I was a minister of government, had worked the whole day. I mean, prior to leaving, I had tried to organize all kinds of things for my husband. I had gone home, I had packed my own suitcase. Um, I tried to deal with all the things I figured a wife needed to deal with, and I got to the airport late. And he said to me, well, why are you late? And I looked at him. His wife had packed for him. He didn't, wasn't busy preparing meals for anybody. He didn't have elderly parents to see about because his parents were seeing about uh, his, his wife was seeing about his parents. And I looked at all of the things that I had to do as a minister of government in order to fulfill my multiple roles. All he had to do was change his suit and, or his shirt. Because, you know, women would have to change the dress or the suit, the man only has to change his shirt and show up. And it struck me that everybody really needs a wife. (laughs) So what are the other things that we can do? Um, I think we need to get into the schools because we have to start very early giving girls a vision of themselves as engineers, as researchers, as scientists. Because really, where are the role models? Where are the role models? If you find one or two in a company, a girl who has that aspiration may not even know that you exist. So we as women who are in this space, women who work in STEM, women who are qualified in renewable energy and oil and gas and have to go into the the places where young girls are and start to encourage them and say, look, pinch me, I am real, you can be where I am, you can get further than where I've gone. Unless we can do that, Girls will not even know that the opportunities exist because the system is not going to tell them and the system is not going to encourage them. And very often when they start to say these things, I mean, I'm I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I am now 61, I, I don't believe it, but they tell me that on my birth certificate. When I decided that I didn't want to be a mother and I wanted to be a career, a career professional. This was what I wanted. Um, so, you know, I thank Jesus that I'm living my dream. But people said to me, "What? you don't want to have children? Something wrong with you. <laughs> that, that was the immediate assumption that physically somehow I was unable to have children, and therefore I was saying to people, well, I don't want them um people could not relate now i know some of you have grown up in a completely different era so that the idea of female professionals and career women is so much more embraced but the notion at the time and and this is what i'm talking about biases conscious and unconscious that people will not encourage you to, to get to your dream you have to find a way to encourage yourself okay so we must raise our girls differently we have to set up support systems and support groups there are so few women working in the energy space we do not know who we are we do not know where we are and we do not know what we are doing and if there can be one outcome of this conference cuc i would say to start an online directory sharing all of the women who work in the energy space across the Caribbean who are qualified, what their qualifications are. This will allow two things. First of all, for companies that work in energy to have access immediately to all of the women who are working in the space and to know what their experience and qualifications are. And second, it will tell women where to find other women so that you can get encouragement, so that you can learn from people's experiences and, and draw on them when you need to. You know, because I'm beginning to feel that I've lived through so much that I want to find ways of sharing it with other young women who are now coming into the space so that they get a sense that it is possible on the days that you are really frustrated, on the days that people are trying to force you, excuse me, very sweetly out of your job. I mean, many times I've had a woman, a female engineer say to me that when she went to apply for her job, she was told up front. Well, you know, we are a European company, and that requires us to have a certain female uh, quotas in our hiring, but we don't expect you to stay. She was told this at her interview. Now, if you come in with that and the men don't take you seriously, you walk into the room, and uh, everybody looks up and goes back to whatever they're doing, they're drawing our statistics and. and Nobody's speaking to you, nobody's encouraging you, and the CEO, the the HR department doesn't even think that you're going to be around in six months. You you have to think seriously when you get up on the Monday morning, the first day that you're supposed to go to work, whether you're really going or not. And you have to find somebody to help to support you to stay in that space. And this is what I talk about uh, earlier about uh, imposter syndrome and feeling that you have, you have earned that space at the table, taking that space, and then trying to get somebody else in. Okay. Um, I'm going to say something that may not be all that popular, uh, but I've come to the conclusion that when you're 61, it doesn't matter if you're popular. <laughs> um, for a long time, I rejected the ideas of quotas, but have come to the view that they are essential. Because if you have a majority of females graduating from the university and they're still holding the minority of the jobs, there is something very wrong. If you have women supporting political parties out there doing the canvassing and the work on the cooking and making up the organizations within the political party, but they can't be candidates. Something is very wrong. So I feel that if you look at the Nordic countries, which rank highest on the happiness index, that they do have quota systems for not just the public sector, but for the private sector, for the number of women. You can put on boards for the number of women who must be in political parties, for the number of women who must work in particular sectors. There are quotas. And I believe that across the region, we have so many qualified women. And uh, often people say, oh, so you can just have a woman for having a woman's sake? No, there are qualified women out there. We've had men for having men's sake for a long time. Let us find the qualified women and put them into the Oh, so it wasn't that unpopular after all. (laughs) Um, Establish WhatsApp groups for obvious reasons. I I know there are so many WhatsApp groups, but it is possible to do it and to do it well. I've also come to the view that in the Caribbean and in in many developing countries, um, it's not so in Canada or in one or two other countries, um, but. Coming out of the Beijing platform of action, governments across the world have established gender departments. And the gender departments uh, help women with things like smocking and sewing and the occasional lecture and so, but they really are not proactive. Gender departments do not, um, are not allowed to function or not intended to function in a way that allows them to review national policies prior to implementation and apply a gender lens to say, this is going to beneficially or adversely affect women. So I believe that we need to have not just gender departments, but gender desks in every ministry that really seriously analyze policy and programming in order to determine whether or not women are being positively or negatively impacted by government policy and programming, and to determine what moral suasion needs to be used at the level of the private sector to bring people along to affect the kind of change um, that is necessary. So I turn then to the final component of what I've been asked to do, and I hope I'm I'm hitting the targets, but like I said, this is, this is a lecture, not a, not a brief discussion. What then is the future of energy? Uh, that's hard to say. Um, I think that it's going to be oil and gas. Um, yeah, it's painful for me because I work in sustainability to say that, but if you consider that across the Caribbean, for instance, um, St. Vincent and and the Grenadines, I think they're going to have a new bid round. St. Lucia is talking about it. Barbados, uh, uh, the Prime Minister has indicated that she is going to natural gas, and they have had a bid round, so they're going to go to drilling. Um, Guyana is producing 360,000, uh, oil equivalent barrels a day uh, with, um, it, it is believed, around 11 billion barrels uh, in, the, in, the, in the earth uh, to pull out in the seabed. Um, U.S. In energy independence has come largely through fracking, uh, which is highly destructive of the environment and has serious implications for um, water and access to water. Uh, the Ukraine, the situation in the Ukraine has impacted energy supply and distribution globally, but it has also created um, interesting enough, not just a desire for greater renewables, but it is pushing people further into uh, fossil fuel production and extraction. Um, I think that you are going to see dual development, so strong oil and gas um, accompanied by um, A strong push towards renewables, a scaling down of coal coming out of COP 27, the climate change meeting last year. Um, I think that you are going to see more court rulings like the ones in the EU um, asking oil companies or requiring oil companies to scale back and to look to more sustainable um, energy practices. I think hydrogen is going to emerge. You are going to see cheaper storage and increased storage capacity for renewable energy, for longer battery life and so on, For batter, uh, longer life for batteries and so, um, increased storage capacity. Energy security and energy costs in the Caribbean will continue to be a major issue. Uh, you are not as far south as Barbados and the Eastern Caribbean, but you know that uh Small island developing states, particularly those in the Caribbean, pay the highest fossil fuel prices across the world, partly because we do not ourselves produce um, and because um, getting small volumes of oil and gas um, and diesel to um, the, the Caribbean is really extremely costly and not competitive because of the, the, the volumes and, and the distance. Um, I think that wave, solar, biomass, geothermal, particularly in the Caribbean, in the Eastern Caribbean, uh, wind and hydrogen are going to emerge as the um, energy, renewable energy sources of the future. The trend toward micro, microgrids will increase. Uh, power companies like CUC are going to have to determine with the shift to renewables and independent power producers what really is will the look of energy companies be in the future? Um, digitalization and um, artificial intelligence and technology will become a significant driver of how. Oil and gas companies and energy companies generally operate. Decarbonization will continue to be a trend or development without significant carbonization rather than decarbonization. Um, Energy volatility, in my view, will continue. We will continue to hear about sustainability in the context of energy. What then can you do? I would suggest that We've been talking, or I've been talking up to this point, about your place in STEM, your place in energy. What I would like to suggest to you now is really, it is not about you. It is about embracing a strategic mission of change for other women, of promoting gender equality in the sector that you have chosen to specialize in where women are still very much discriminated against despite excellent qualifications, where women are not encouraged to enter despite need and opportunity. And I I would think that it is important for us to consider the errors that have been made in the development of the oil and gas sector and to correct that in terms of the renewable energy sector so that greater space is created for women and that renewable energy is used to give a larger number of women across the globe access to energy, which will transform educational health and other opportunities and the reality of their lives. The challenge is to get more women into the space. That's the job of all of us. We have to look at our systems to determine if we are achieving that. And I want to make a final suggestion, and then I'm going to share two personal stories with you, and then I'll shut up. The final suggestion is that women in the energy sector tend to be well-paid but we do not invest our money with other women. Look for angel investors, set up small companies, the way the energy sector is changing. If a female owned company was to start selling solar panels, setting up um, energy systems at people's houses, looking for storage opportunities or the opportunities for charging stations, etc. You don't have to have a big uh, company that competes with CUC. You look for the niches where there is need and opportunity, where two or three of you can get together and make serious investment and make money. There is opportunity. But unless we are willing to dominate the space as owners of energy, as generators of energy, as, as owners of our own companies, then we can't affect transformation because we are just, ha- by being ha- happy to sit down as mere employees and go home with our pension packages. I want to thank CUC, not just for what they've been doing in relation to gender, but I want to thank them for a very interesting experience. Yesterday, CUC, without knowing it, Chained, uh stopped uh, the customs people from digging up my suitcases. <laughs> now, I, I always travel with a lot of luggage. I, I don't know why, but no matter how I try to get everything into carry-on, it never works. I don't know how men do it, but I can't get <laughs> it done, right? So I come in to, to, to the airport and I have my usual big suitcase and I have my carry-on and my handbag. and I, I can see the customs officer looking at me. Then she stops me and she smiles, she says, good morning. Are you here on business or are you visiting family? And I said to her, she's looking at my suitcases all this time, and I said to her, well, actually I'm here to present at a conference for CUC. She said, oh, they're an excellent company. You go (laughs) ahead then, you go ahead. Thank you. See you. See. Otherwise, I may have been in immigration still, and yes. customs have Okay, and to, to my to sharing, concluding by sharing my um my personal experiences. Two things. When I was 16 years old, I failed my O levels. Um, but a headmistress who had confidence in my ability, for, for those of you in the room who do not know what O-levels are. That's like c CXC, CAPE, I don't know what y'all do here. Um, but I had who had confidence in me, really continued to encourage and nurture me. And she said to me, Elizabeth, you have fallen down at the crossroads. You can either stay where you are and let all the traffic run over you, or you can get up, dust yourself off, and continue on your journey. And in the midst of my depression, my fear of how I was going to go home, and tell my parents that I had not passed my exams, certainly not in the way that was expected. That made sense to me. It became the policy by which I have lived. Boyfriend broke off engagement, dust myself off, got up and gone. Got fired from the cabinet, dust myself off, got up, gone. Got rehired by the cabinet, smile and kept going. Um, (laughs) The point that I'm making is that you will face disappointment and failure in your personal life and in your professional life. It doesn't have to define you or to determine how you end up. And on this journey in energy as a woman, you will face challenges that are generic, challenges that are specific, and challenges that are peculiar to you. Dust yourself off. Get up and continue with your journey. And my final point today, and you notice I'm closing my book, so nothing else will occur to me to say, came from my mother. God bless her. She died last year. I was about nine years old, and the first ever um, transatlantic, uh, what do you call them, those big jet airliners came um, to Barbados. And um, in those days, you didn't have the terrible security that you have at airports now. And you know, you could go out onto the tarmac. Oh, I could give you a story about security at the airport, but um, that's another day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went up to the airport to see this transatlantic jet liner. Um, oh, uh, I think it was a Boeing 747 or something, which transformed air travel. But I, I don't want to get into that because I, I, I get carried away with stories. Okay, so we go to the airport and um, there are these um, barricades along the tarmac and there is an official party touring this plane and lots of Barbadians are there and their are police, um, you know how they hold arms to keep the crowd back. And so this is uh, 19, maybe early to 71, or in that area. And uh, people are pushing because the crowd is excited. People at the back want to see better. And you know, people are jostling for space and so on. And I find myself, now you may not believe it, but I used to be very skinny. Um, I, I find myself pushed outside of the crowd passed the police at the front of this crowd, and it suddenly occurred to me that there was nothing between that plane and me. And I looked around at my parents, and they instinctively knew that I intended to get on that plane. <laughs> my father, God bless him, he's there too, said, No, Liz, no. (laughs) And my mother said to me, run, Liz, run. (laughs) And I took off. (laughs) And the police were busy with the adults and the crowd, so nobody stopped me. And I got on that plane. I'd never been on a plane in my life. And it seemed like the absolute luxury to me. And I touched the seats and I sat in them and I went into the galley and I went into the cockpit. And I thought, oh my God, what it must be like to fly around the world in a plane. The lesson here is run, run. And I want to say to the women of CUC, the women of the Cayman, the women all over the Caribbean, You are in a space where there is going to be nobody at your side. There may not be anybody to support you. There is nobody ahead of you to tell you, come. There is nobody encouraging you to pursue your dream, to get to where you want to go. Run girls, run. God bless you.
1: another applause
4: to Ambassador Thompson all right I trust everyone's had an enjoyable lunch and a chance to do some networking and sharing some of the insights that you may have gained or uh, asking a few of those questions that weren't answered for you and uh, hope a great job posting the your photos and thoughts on social media uh, really appreciate you participating, and let's remember there's one more post where you're going to have chances to add to your probability of winning the prize. Now next, we're going to have a, a video from Dart, uh, one of our sponsors of the event. So why don't we go ahead and show that video.
7: Sustainability is at the heart of all we do. Our island's natural beauty and the lives of those who call it home depends on our ability to decrease reliance on fossil fuels and reduce carbon emissions. So how do we do that? We have been doing that. We introduced our first renewable energy installation in 2011 and have added 11 solar arrays to Caymanna Bay since. You may have noticed that Cayman is hot, and up to 60% of energy consumption goes towards keeping our homes, schools, and businesses cool in a climate like ours. Our energy-efficient chilled water plant prevented 2,000 metric tons of CO2 emissions in 2021 and keeps the community of Kamana Bay cool to live, work, and play in. Kamana Bay solar arrays alone have prevented more than 4,800 metric tons of CO2 from being released into the atmosphere. That's equivalent of greenhouse gas emissions from 471,513 gallons of diesel consumed. But it's so much more than how we power our projects. It's how we build them, too we recycle and reuse materials, introduced a new green building standard, led the way in sustainable design, inspired local initiatives, and the DECO Consortium proposed to the country's first integrated solid waste management system, REGEN.
4: I've been told, unfortunately, you don't get to see the rest of the video, but obviously what you did see was a, a tremendous example of, of the efforts being made by DART and uh, as far as trying to reduce carbon emissions, so very impressive initiatives. All right, without further ado, I'm going to welcome Christy Rivers, she's the Vice President of Business Development and Leasing at DART. <coughs> Excuse me, DART is a global organization with headquarters in the Cayman Islands. The Dart Dart portfolio of companies is owned by Ken Dart and spans a range of industries including real estate, development, hospitality, retail, entertainment, finance, and biotech. Guided by the vision of its owner, Dart has developed more than 1.5 billion in mixed-use residential, commercial, recreational, educational, and hospitality properties throughout the Cayman Islands. Please welcome Christy Rivers to the stage.
11: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Although she needs no introduction to us here in Cayman, it is my esteemed honour to introduce Marla Dukaran, who will be speaking to us on the future of the Cayman Islands through the lens of evolving risk. Marla is a leading economist and advisor on the Caribbean and a chief point of reference in assessing the regional implications of global events. Her monthly Caribbean economic report closely follows risks, vulnerabilities, and successes to top regional economies. Marla is passionate about resolving the dichotomy of slow economic growth in a region with limitless potential, and works openly to drive action on issues that hinder development, such as the region's high debt level, gender inequality financial exclusion, and vulnerability to the climate crisis. March is Honoring Women Month. And it is with great pride that I welcome fellow countrywoman, Caribbean sister, highly sought-after international keynote speaker, mother, and powerhouse woman, Marla Dukaran.
10: Am I Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for having me again here. I'm not gonna stand there, because that's too tall. <laughs> and um, I didn't want to stand on something that I might fall off of. So, where are my Trini people? <laughs> I'm not seeing any hands. Yes, we have Trini people in the room. I said this in Bahamas on Tuesday, and there wasn't a soul. I can't tell you how disappointed I was. But thanks again for having me, all protocols observed. I want to acknowledge the Minister of Tourism here. Hope he's not too unhappy about what I might say. Um, And I'm going to share my thoughts on this beautiful country, the Cayman Islands. Of course, still the best run country in the whole Caribbean. But you know what? I'm convinced that somebody, somebody leaked my presentation to the premier because a lot of what he said this morning um, is echoed in my presentation. So either great minds think alike or <laughs> but there are risks to groupthink. but anyway, before I get in to specifically talk about the Cayman Islands, I'll talk about the global economic scenario. And so Basically in January of this year, the IMF announced that the global economy is gonna grow only by 2.9%. And anything less than 3% is a global recession. So we're already in a global recession. I know it might not feel like that here, um, but we are in a global recession and fully one third of um, countries globally are in recession already. So we have gone from pandemic to poly-crisis, to now perma-crisis, permanent crisis. It's crazy. We've seen governments and central banks slam the brakes on massive monetary and fiscal stimulus to breakneck tightening as they desperately try to get supply-driven inflation under control with the unintended consequences of job losses and even slower growth. And if this is not a clear demonstration of Colossal policy failure, as the speakers before me have discussed this um, today, I don't know what is. Even more so in a highly uncertain environment. And then layer on top of all of that, FTX, SVB, etc., and we are in a really volatile ride. But I would argue that the uncertainty we are feeling today is driven less by geopolitical factors as it was a year ago and more so by the policy failures and the feeling that nobody really in the policy space globally nobody really seems to be sure what to do at least that's the feeling i get and a lot of what they do doesn't really make sense Furthermore, leadership at the global level is softening further in the West, in my view, and strengthening in the East. And now that Xi Jinping has been elected for a third term and will likely serve the rest of his life, even though Beijing's 2023 GDP growth forecast of around 5% growth is the slowest that China is projected to grow in 32 years, At least that's one less source of uncertainty. The World Economic Forum's Global Risk Report listed the top 10 risks for the next two years. And half of these risks are related to the climate crisis and the lack of meaningful mitigation and adaptation of the climate crisis. And the other other five are the cost of living crisis geoeconomic confrontation which they didn't teach me in school social instability widespread cyber crime and large-scale involuntary migration let's look at the impact of these risks on the caribbean when the global financial crisis hit it took more than six years for tourism alone to recover in most of the Caribbean countries. In Cayman, it took three years. Woohoo, half of what everybody else took. Best run country. (laughs) This crisis is proving to be very different. As of the latest data I have available to me, we have already seen the Dominican Republic, Curacao surpass their 2019 stay over arrival levels. Um, last year and Aruba is very close to reaching its 2019 levels already and Aruba is the most tourism dependent economy on Earth. Jamaica, the Bahamas and Saint Lucia are also expected to reach 2019 levels of stopover arrivals this year. I am finding that the countries that have none or very little direct flight to the US and those that are more dependent on the UK market are the ones that are taking longer to recover. In Cayman, the latest data I have available to me says that we are at 57% of stopover arrivals compared to where we were in 2019. But that's partly because Cayman was one of the last to reopen. I think it was only September of last year that you eliminated the um, the, uh, quarantine requirement, if memory serves me correct. And most Caribbean economies will return to pre-COVID size in terms of real GDP by next year. Cayman already did last year. Congratulations on that. And overall, a three to four year average recovery period this time around for this crisis is actually quite good, especially given that this is a one in 100 year crisis. This is just a little snapshot of some of the growth projections for a few countries in the Caribbean. Cayman is expected to continue to see less growth volatility than the others on average and robust positive growth for the next few years. I think the only countries that are projected to grow faster than Cayman are Guyana, and we know what the story is there, and the Dominican Republic. That's actually quite phenomenal. So again, congratulations on that. Uh, This growth is truly robust and positive. So Cayman came from about a decade of consistent economic growth and was quickly able to re-establish this growth trajectory that it had um, before the pandemic. And we have seen much less volatility in the growth number for Cayman than we saw on average across the region. Growth for the first quarter of this year, which is the latest uh, data point I have available to me, was 3.8% year-over-year and we often look at this GDP growth number as if that number told us the whole story and told us everything we need to know and it's the most important variable right but it is important to stop and ask why do we need growth anyway is growth so important and if so why and what does it do for us I don't know if any of you in the room might remember this, but it's like when you're pregnant, and all of a sudden this baby you're carrying becomes more important than you. (laughs) That was my experience. (laughs) The growth number can't be more important than the people creating it, okay? And this is where I think policymakers have lost their way globally as well as in this region. And we wanna make sure we don't fall into that trap here. Growth is important where there is joblessness and poverty to address. But Cayman does not really have a problem with joblessness. We consistently have one of the lowest levels of unemployment here in Cayman and we import labor to fill job vacancies here. This suggests to me that perhaps Cayman is at what we economists call full employment which does not mean zero unemployment by the way but full employment is just a consistently very sticky low level of unemployment but nor does cayman have a poverty problem right right okay well in the caribbean the most recent poverty measure is from 2019 Nobody in this region has measured what the pandemic did, to what extent it pushed poverty higher, because we know it did, but by how much? We don't know. How are we going to fix it? We don't know. Last year in Cayman, the Financial Assistance Act was passed to replace the six decade old Poor Persons Relief Act. And I congratulate the government for modernizing the legislation as it relates to social protection. But where is the data? How many people are at or below the poverty line in Cayman? What is the target number we want to reach and the timeline to get there and the strategy to get there? How do we begin to fix a problem that we have not measured and therefore don't fully understand? Back to growth. Do we even need it, therefore? How much growth do we need? Which sector will it come from? Who will benefit? will suffer much of the growth we have seen in recent years in Cayman has come from the construction sector in particular which of course is driven largely by tourism and also by financial services sector activity but on an on an island with very limited space and one where the highest point is the landfill we can't rely on more and more construction and more and more people coming here while we may already be at full employment, because this is what we're relying on to fuel the economy and to fuel this growth in years to come. I believe that Cayman is at a stage in its development where we need to shift the focus from making that number, the growth number, to making it count. So, But we stick a pin there, right? We'll get back to that, hold that thought. The financial services sector is consistently one of the largest contributors to cayman's economy and it didn't miss a beat during the pandemic which is why you all are already back at pre-crisis levels of of real gdp this sector accounts for on average 32 percent of gdp but if we add in the ancillary services the total contribution to gdp is closer to 40 percent Having a strong sector other than tourism, supported Cayman's ability to manage during the pandemic compared to Caribbean pairs. The finance and insurance sector employs about 8.2% of the labor force, but when we look at the professional services jobs, um, the, the jobs that that sector generates, we calculate the total employment impact at about double that. And there's one more thing. Very important about this sector that I don't really see anybody talk about and that is that this sector is a major employer of Caymanian women. In fact in 2021 we found that financial services and related professional services employed about 30 percent of the female Caymanian labor force and we will come back to that important factor later on. So stick another pin there. Um, Apart from GDP and employment, a large share of government revenue came from the financial services sector. In 2021, 51% of domestic taxes on goods and services came from the financial financial services licenses and 29% of total fiscal revenue came from this sector. We took a look a few years ago at what it cost the government to license and regulate this sector. And we found then that the fiscal flows from this sector were so strong that if this sector were to cease to exist, the government would be facing a huge fiscal deficit, which means that this sector is in effect subsidizing public services that the entire economy relies on. Shocks to this sector can pose severe fiscal and broader economic and social weaknesses, therefore. And there is one more related impact that this sector has. Based on research conducted over the last several years, we also found that the financial services sector does contribute significantly to the tourism sector. The estimates we have here on this chart were based on the captives' industry alone, which is just a small slice of the financial services sector. The spillovers into tourism are significant, with around 6% of travelers declaring that they are coming to Cayman on business in the last 20 years, 6%. And I'm really going so deeply and paying attention to this sector to make the point that while tourism is recovering one tourism alone is not enough and two that if the financial services sector is negatively affected for whatever reason it will offset the gains we are now seeing in tourism and it will have significant impacts on the entire economy. And this sector faces many risks. By now, you may have seen my TED talk on the EU blacklisting and the other research I've done on this topic. This severely affects the Caribbean region and puts tremendous pressure on the financial services sector. This unfair treatment by Europeans eats up a lot of oxygen for our policymakers, and it affects our daily lives in ways that many people don't even see or understand. The Cayman Islands is on the European U- Union's AML-CFT blacklist, the UK's AML-CFT blacklist, the Kingdom of the Netherlands tax blacklist, and the FATF's realist. How the UK could blacklist y'all? <laughs> I mean, uh, they put you in the naughty corner. <laughs> and they give you some time out. Maybe it's time to move out, get your own place. (laughs) This and ever-changing regulatory landscape of this sector puts pressure and increases uncertainty. But I will share more of my thoughts on that topic in the panel discussion to follow. Bottom line, we need to really be aware of the risks that this sector is facing and mitigate them as best as possible as a matter of utmost urgency. And where we can, we need to build fiscal buffers to limit the economic and social fallout from shocks to this sector. Now let's turn to tourism. I tried very hard to measure the net foreign exchange contribution of this sector to the economy and the net fiscal contribution of this sector to the economy and there isn't sufficient data. I already complained to the minister and he assured me that he'll get the data, right? We really need to have this data and the reason for that, and this is not just true of Caymana, every single country in this region, I cannot calculate the net FX contribution and the net fiscal contribution. And that is a problem because our policy makers subsidize and emphasize this sector as though it is the goose that lays a golden egg, but we don't have the data to support that notion And we could be prioritizing a sector and increasing our dependence on a sector that we are not sure is adding the value we need now i am not saying we shouldn't have tourism every country on earth has tourism the question is what kind of tourism how large how small what does it look like and that's what we need the data to be able to determine so that we make sure that what we are promoting from a policy space and from a private sector is actually meeting the needs of the country. And also from an ecological perspective, let's not forget that one. Now let's talk about inflation. Inflation peaked at 12.1% in June, and prices are expected to stay high. As fuel prices remain elevated, electricity rate increases have to pass through. And this is one of the highest inflation rates in the region. Inflation in the Caribbean is largely imported, and we saw U.S. inflation still above 6% in January, with food prices up by more than 10%, and energy prices up almost 9%. As we continue to import goods, we will continue to import inflation. And the imported component or the supply side pressures are very difficult for us to control from a policy perspective. You could adjust customs duties, but that's really about it. But before I get into the demand side of the equation, I want to revert to what I said at the very beginning. Why does this even matter? Well, lower income households and women led households are disproportionately affected by higher food and energy prices because, of course, this accounts for a larger proportion of their budget. And I'm happy to hear the premier talk this morning about the measures that are being taken to help ease this burden, especially on the on the most vulnerable. And the premier also talked about inequality this is the data i was able to find there is no data later than 2015. we would want to see our inequality curve moving closer to that 45 degree line of perfect equality but we haven't moved at all between 20 sorry 2007 and 2015. and that really needs to be addressed. Hopefully, we'll have the data that shows us something better, and hopefully from a policy perspective, we will also make some progress in that regard. Why does inequality even matter? According to the IMF, while some inequality is inevitable in a market-based economic system as a result of differences in talent, differences in effort, even luck, Excessive inequality could erode social cohesion, lead to political polarization, and ultimately lower economic growth, the same growth that we are so obsessed with. Not just you, everybody. According to the World Inequality Report, the inequalities within countries is now even greater than the inequality between countries. Inequality, according to this report, is a political choice, not an inevitability. According to the last occupational wage report of workers earning less than 2,200 per month, 42% were non Caymanian. And on the other end of the spectrum, around 40% of employees earning more than the median wage were also non Caymanian. And in the highest wage decile, 45.2% were also non Caymanian. So Caymanians are pretty much in a sandwich between non-Caymanians. So what's the problem? Well, I believe that much of the demand side inflation that the Cayman Islands is experiencing is largely coming obviously from the higher, higher income earners, the top slice of the sandwich. And they are the ones with the purchasing power to do that. And I believe that this demand side inflation plus the supply side inflation is driving wider inequality and poverty for Caymanians. High income earners are also crowding out the average Caymanian from the property market. And this is something we need to address with policy because income inequality is putting downward pressure on Caymanian home ownership and lower levels of home ownership results in higher levels of wealth inequality So the problem of income inequality is translating into wealth inequality via the the property market. And this also drives more self-reinforcing and self-perpetuating inequality. And guess what? Inequality causes poverty. Growth alone will not solve that problem. We need specific policy to address inequality. And remember that inequality is a policy choice, not an inevitability. And on the issue of women and the gender pay gap, earlier I noted that the financial services and related professional sectors employed around 30% of the female Caymanian workforce. We can also see here that the lowest paying sectors are also dominated by female workers, 94% of persons employed in households are female. But these are largely non-Caymanian women which is a positive thing, unlike the Bahamas, where I was discussing this data with them on Tuesday. Cayman has ensured that that they are importing the lowest wage earners while its people are employed at the higher wage levels, so congratulations on that. But let's be sure that we're also not importing poverty and vulnerability. Finally, these domestic workers, 94% of whom are women, are the reason that the rest of us women can work. It is their shoulders that we stand on. Cayman has the highest labor force participation rates in the region, so congratulations again on that. But like almost everywhere else, the Cayman, in the Cayman Islands, women continue to participate less than men in the workforce. Why is this? Well, women still perform on average globally three to four times more unpaid care work in the home on top of our paid work, and this means that we work on average four years longer than men in our lifetime, and we get less sleep and less exercise with untold effects on our physical and mental well-being. We suffer the majority of the consequences of society's ills such as crime, violence, abuse, and poverty, and I was very happy to hear the premier talk this morning about the sexual harassment bill that he will be um, putting through soon. In 2018 and 2019 the unemployment rates of females compared to males were almost on par as you can see in the chart but in 2020 the unemployment rate of females increased to 6.2% but for males only 4.2% again evidence that women are disproportionately affected from this Perma crisis but when women work Global data shows that we invest 90% of our income back into our families, but men only 30 to 40%. Maternal income was found to increase family nutrition by four to seven times more than the income of fathers. Is there any policy intervention to support women entering and staying in the labor force and earning equal pay for equal work? This is something I urge policymakers to prioritize for the sake of Caymanian families and children in particular. Now, speaking of children, Cayman's low fertility rate makes imported labor that much more important. I have three charts here. The first one on your far left is the population pr- pyramid, which, as you can see, this is, this is Cayman's population pyramid. Um, it's a it's a spade. Wait, actually, this is the total, sorry, total population. So it's a spade, right? The middle is the population pyramid for the Caymanian population only. And as you can see, we don't have enough people in the working age there to sustain the economy. And on the the far right, we have the non-Caymanian population. And this se- segment is essential to bringing in enough workers to sustain a level of economic activity that we all depend on, which the economy considers normal. This large non Caymanian working population is actually helping to reduce the dependency ratio and it is a positive thing. So there are advantages to the sandwich, right? But I want to suggest two things about this sandwich. Instead of a sandwich, what about a martini? Why not aim for a day where Caymanians dominate on the top and occupy less and less of the jobs as we go to the bottom? And two, we have to remember what the risks of income inequality are, and we have to use policy to mitigate these risks, particularly as it relates to inflation, home ownership, wealth inequality, and the resulting level of poverty Otherwise, what we are doing is we are importing poverty and exporting our progress. That's not what we want to do. And on the issue of imported inflation, of course, energy is a big driver of that. And it's one of the imports that we can most easily reduce, if not eliminate. I mean, it's not so bad in Cayman compared to other countries, but it's still something we can improve. Only 3.2% of total electricity generation came from renewable energy last year, which was not much change over 2021. I think we're making fairly slow progress um, on this front, um, and I think that uh, this needs some very careful policy intervention. I know that this is also something the Premier talked about this morning. Cayman and, well, Bahamas, too, are among the most highly exposed to impacts of rising sea levels, according to Moody's. 83% of the population submerged if temperatures were to rise by 3 degrees. I think we already have 1.3 or something like that baked in. What are we doing to build climate adaptation and resilience? Are we adequately insured? Do we have fiscal buffers in place and access to emergency concessional financing? Do we even qualify? Have our building codes adapted to this new reality? These are all important questions to ask. And are we building with the sea in mind or with migrants and refugees in mind? Are we prioritizing growth and guns or mangroves? If you feel like I've thrown a lot at you, and it was a bit all over the place, sorry, but I feel like it's a bit all over the place where, from where I sit right now, because we're coming out of this polycrisis, perma crisis, and it has thrown a lot of people into poverty, but we're not acknowledging this problem on a regional level. I'm not here singling out Cayman, but we still don't have the data here. We have a nice new Financial Assistance Act, but we don't have the data we need to get the data. Are guns and shooting them so important to Cayman that we need to cut down mangroves to build shooting ranges? Seriously? Is there nowhere else we can repurpose for this? Is the tourism sector as it's currently configured really worth the waste in the landfill and the waste I see on Seven Mile Beach this morning, left behind, I'm guessing, from the cruise um, tourists? and the land it uses for the big hotels, the amount of imported food and energy and labor. I'm not saying it isn't. We just don't know. We need the data. And the question is, what is the right size and right type of tourism for Cayman's needs? And what are those needs anyway? Do we know? Have we determined this? In my view, Cayman needs a national vision to focus on what really matters most to the people of Cayman. If a country does not have a national vision, a target that everyone can get behind, then policymakers get busy with whatever lands in their inbox, whatever is the loudest or lobbyist voice in their ear. I have demonstrated Cayman's success at financial services, but also its overdependence on this sector, which is a risk and a source of vulnerability. But if we treat this sector and the real estate sector as if we are an oil-exporting nation, as if this sector is finite, is a finite and depleting resource, and the earnings from this sector, these sectors, will not always be so buoyant then what we should do is perhaps set some of the revenue aside in an independent sovereign wealth fund with the highest levels of transparency and governance standards and use that fund to finance Cayman's vision. Imported labor will always be a factor. The sandwich does not always have to be our reality. A martini will be better, I promise. Caymanians can ascend to dominate the top slice too, not just the middle, and we can protect those below and do a better job at supporting women and families. And we can achieve all of this with the right policies. And if any country can do this, Cayman can do it. And I thank you. Hi, Marla. Hi, Jim. Great
6: presentation as always. <laughs> thank you. Um, my name is Jim Wilson. Good afternoon to everybody. Um, I'm a VP and group head for investment banking for, uh, for RF Bank and Trust based out of the Bahamas. And uh, thank you all for coming today as well. Um, as I think you all know the routine now, we'll have some people floating around with mics if anybody has any questions for Marla. And in the meantime, I'll kick it off with one or two. <coughs> Marla, what do you think is the quickest and easiest reform you believe would uh, bring us long-term growth?
10: Gender equality. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, there's any number of policies that can bring long-term sustainable growth. Um, But I feel like especially in a region where we've closed the gender gap on two elements, on women's education and healthcare, So we are better educated and healthier than you guys and we live longer. Mm-hmm. So therefore if women, I, I, I often see women as the Caribbean's most valuable natural resource. And sometimes in some countries the most underutilized <laughs> natural resource. And I think that if women were supported, women and, and families as well. Jamaica just passed um, an act giving men paternity leave the only one in this region. I mean, that's not a difficult piece of legislation to pass, I don't think. So I think that's probably the easiest way in the short term. Um, I said in Bahamas, you know, this is not even low-lying fruit. This is fruit that's falling off the trees onto the ground. <laughs> it's not that hard to do. And I'm, I'm not just putting pressure on the public sector here and the policymakers, even in the private sector. What are you doing in the private sector to support women Um, to support families, to make sure that there is flexibility in work arrangements so that women can look after their families in addition to being productive um, at work. No-brainer.
6: Which of the Caribbean economies are you most bullish on? on. (laughs)
10: Cayman.
6: That was an easy one. Yeah,
10: Cayman. dominican republic uh it's a very large diversified economy um and before the the pandemic was r- recording the highest and most consistent level of growth in the entire caribbean and latin american region um and jamaica i know that jamaica's growth is not quite what it you know maybe some people expected it to be but again growth is not everything they are right now recording before the crisis and now after the crisis, the lowest unemployment that Jamaica has ever had in its history. They have have undergone 10 years of significant institutional, legal, labor, financial sector, central bank reform. And I think that that institutional strengthening um, has positioned Jamaica for longer term growth um, in a way that most of the rest of the English-speaking Caribbean is not not going to see without that kind of reform. So I would say those two. I would say Guyana, too, but, you know, because of the oil and gas and the level of growth. But as we've discussed, Mm -hmm. Jim is Guyanese, you know. (laughs) I keep telling him, get your your Guyanese passport. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, Guyana still has a lot of risk, lots of risk not the okay. least of which is currency risk. They almost mm-hmm. don't have enough foreign currency, even though they're the, the world's newest oil and gas exporter.
6: Assuming that'll come in time though, <laughs> hopefully. We'll see. Who do you think is recovering best from COVID and why?
10: The same countries, uh, Jamaica, Dominican Republic. Um, why? I mean, that's a complex answer, a complex question. I think. Partly based on tourism, recovering in those countries, especially Dominican Republic, um, Jamaica this year I think will recover tourism, but also because they're diversified, and so they're not reliant on any one or two sectors, um, and partly because they have flexible exchange rates. I don't know if you all remember earlier this morning, um, there was a chart put up uh basically showing the strength of the U.S. dollar. And all of us who are pegged to the U.S. dollar, it means our currencies are moving in tandem with the U.S. dollar against all the other major currencies. And so that means that from a price perspective, um, our exports, which are tourism and Mm -hmm. in some cases, financial services and rum, um, are are less price competitive because we're pegged. But DR and Jamaica, they have flexible currencies And so based on demand and supply, their currencies Mm -hmm. move and they're able to release some of the pressure that we're seeing the other countries subjected to with respect to overvaluation of the currency.
2: Okay.
6: Well, thanks, thanks, Marla. Do we have any questions from the audience? Sure, we must have one or two. No. No?
10: (laughs) (laughs) One, two. I see two hands.
9: Afternoon. Good afternoon.
2: Uh, what do you believe are some of the factors that push the demand for non kenyans Manion, occupying
9: the high wage level positions?
10: What pushes the demand for non kenyans at the higher levels of. of yeah. You mentioned it earlier. Right. I think education. the Premier also talked about that. I mean, I would hope that this is a meritocracy. And I would hope that people are hired based on their skills and their fit for what is required. Um, And I would hope that it means that Caymanians can progressively um, become educated and and suitably qualified for these positions. I really don't have the data to answer that question any other way.
9: Thank you. Okay. And I had a second question, which is,
10: could you explain a bit more the speed uh, that uh-huh. you, you presented? The population? Okay, so I wonder if I could, is there any way we could get back to that chart? I'm not seeing anybody saying yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would guess that's a no. So what that chart was showing you is at each age level, what is the amount of people right there we go thank you um right so normally most countries tend to have a shape like this like a pyramid which means as you get to the 80 and 84 you know people are dying off but and then you have children coming up and you have a nice sort of a
6: Christmas tree? Yeah,
10: kind of. I mean, nobody's perfectly there, but that's what you would want to have. But because we have aging populations, you're getting smaller and smaller bases to population permits, And that's what we're seeing in the middle, which is what Cayman's, the Caymanian population looks like. So which means, like in the 10 to 14 bracket, we're seeing a little bump. So we have some teenagers, but below that, it's declining. And that's, that's, what we're seeing in many countries and so what it means is that two things we don't have enough people of working age in the next few years because we're not producing enough children the 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 birth rate in most countries in the Caribbean is below the replacement rate so we have shrinking populations Um, and the other thing that happens is that when you have more people that they retire, like you're seeing there 50 to 54, there's a bump. You know, It means that there's much more pressure on the pension systems because there's more retirees than people working. And so that's also unhealthy. So that's why we need the extreme right there to balance the middle to end up with where we're at on the extreme left. So I hope that makes it clearer. OK, good. Any other
5: questions? Thank you, thank you, R.F. Mike, for this conference, and Dr. Marla for your very insightful. I I oh, sorry, I thought you. Were talking. <laughs> but you're brilliant, so thank you very much for for your analysis. <laughs> and and for reminding us that we need a vision, which is a Clarion call for the last thirty years. Um, I just have a question in relation to you. You just mentioned about pensions, but we have. Um, a low minimum wage in this country, $6 CI per hour minimum wage.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: We have health insurance, it's very expensive and, for, and expensive even for workers. And when you retire, most people after 30 or 90 days, you have no insurance unless you're going to pay $1,500 CI a month for it for a family plan. Then our pension plan, which was put in place in the late 90s, is a good model, but underfunded and not growing with inflation. And so we have perfect storm brewing in terms of wage, health insurance, inaccessible pensions not enough to support uh, retirement. So um, to kick the can down the road, which is what we do often, do you think that we probably should look at increasing the retirement age um, to say 70 or something. Now I understand, let me just stop, let me, let me just explain myself. I know that this caused a big riot in, in, in um, mm. France recently. And still. One of and the,
10: France is still low. I don't of, know what they're carrying on about. Exactly.
5: There. <laughs> and They work three days a week. 62 to 64. I yeah. mean. And, and one of the Republican candidates uh, mentioned recently that you know, something that you think about. But I wonder what your thoughts are in terms of what can we do? Because obviously, most people can't afford to retire, but yeah. on, with this perfect storm, is the retirement age increase an option to look at as one of those low hanging fruits?
10: You know what, um, it can't be the only option. Uh, Barbados is talking about increasing theirs to 72. I mean, when I saw that, first of mm-hmm. all, they're not talking about increasing the contribution, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> they're not talking about reducing the benefits, no. But let's work till we're 72, why don't we, you know? <laughs> um, it, to me, it has to be a combination of all those things, um, and it can't be that you're asking people to work till 72. When I first saw this, I thought, how ridiculous is this? My mom is 73 and she's had Alzheimer's since she's 70. She could not. I don't know if I would be able to, you know? The reality is not everybody can be productive at, un- until that age. So. I think that we have to look at that mix of benefits, contribution, and the age at which we, we are entitled to the benefits. But also, I mean, I don't mean to repeat, repeat myself and belabor this point, but we need in, in discussing what is our vision for our nation, we need to think about these things. Mm-hmm. Do we want to have a population that retires at 72 or 62? And if we decide as a nation that we want to retire at, I don't know, 55, then we have to put the things in place to get there. The point I'm making is that really all of this is all an equation, you know. You just have to decide what you want on the right-hand side of the equation, and then you adjust your variables and your coefficients for the variables. To lead to that that result on the right hand side, and it's it's it's, it's simple maths, <laughs> you know. Um, it's just really based on policy choice. And so, when you look at countries like Trinidad and Tobago, where we have a sovereign wealth fund, and you would think that this sovereign wealth fund that was set up to ensure intergenerational equity, and you would make sure that this fund has sufficient resources in it so that it can help to fund um some pensions for people yeah and and it, it they they just didn't put that in place because we lacked vision we had vision 2020 well that was a joke it's just you know Manning did this fantastic no, 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 no. vision and then kamla said what's this it and throw it away and then it's wow. done because it's all political um and that's a problem when you have a national vision that's politicized you need to have a national vision that's really of the people and not of the politicians <laughs>
6: We have time for one or two more questions.
10: They want a the martini.
6: They want a martini. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a little bit more to come before that. Over here on the right.
4: Hopefully, everybody can hear me. Um, as you probably are aware, the under the guidance of myself as Minister for Tourism. our government has taken a policy position in tourism to focus more on quality Mm -hmm. rather than quantity. Mm -hmm. Would you say that is a good direction to go?
10: Absolutely. Absolutely. We have how many cruise ships sitting outside as of 5 o'clock this morning? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I will tell you a story. I shared this with Marco, remember, a few... Maybe a couple of years ago, I came here for this conference in 2020 and I took my run on Seven Mile Beach and I had to jump over several cups on the sand and there was a guy putting out beach chairs and I said, said, hey dude, look, all this garbage that you all have rolling into the sea, you know, oh, whatever, you know, (laughs) (laughs) okay, Karen. I I think that you really have to think about the costs versus the benefits. Now you need the data for that. Some of it is intuitive. And if you are seeing a level of waste that is not, we don't have the numbers to calculate the net benefit, but is not at least intuitively justified by the amount of revenue that say crews Tourists generate, which is not a lot. Is less than fifty U.S. Uh, the last data point I saw on average less than fifty U.S. per head. Oh. I don't know that that makes any sense, and I don't know that a country like Cayman needs that. Maybe a country like Dominican Republic needs it. Maybe a country like Jamaica needs it, um, but I don't think Cayman needs that. Uh hmm Right, but do you then have the data to say, this is how much we earn from the consumption-based taxes of the tourists, and this is how much we spend cleaning up after them, paying for the imports to feed them, you know, all of that. We don't know, we don't have the data minister, honestly. And again, this is not just you, the entire region. I'm trying my best to find this and to pressure policy makers to give me the data. But I think a lot of it is for political reasons, because Unlike Cayman, in many countries in the Caribbean, the tourism sector is the largest employer after the government, and so it is politically expedient for them to have a big tourism sector because then they have jobs. Mm -hmm. Once there's joblessness, they lose the election. So part of the reason why I think they're not pressuring the statistical agencies for this data is because I think they know what it's going to say, and they don't want that message out there that in many countries in the caribbean it is my guess based on the numbers i have available to me which are not by any means all the numbers i need i think that in many countries in the caribbean not cayman that um, the tourism sector is a net foreign exchange drain and i also think that from an ecological standpoint and i think we can count cayman in this one it is a net um, cost the to the country it was a guess right i'm guessing please (laughs) remember that i said that i don't have the data (laughs) because you know what the headline is going (laughs) to (laughs) say
6: i can write it now (laughs) time's up yeah i think time's up um thank you once again marla for taking the time to chat with me
10: thank you thanks for having me
6: I look forward to hearing more from you in the panel discussion up next under the topic global minimum tax and what it means for the Cayman Islands financial services
7: industry.